United States Air Force did recover alien bodies. They didn't tell me about it either, and I want to know. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. Hey, I'm Graham. And I'm Darren. <laughs> and we're talking with Grant Cameron tonight. Uh, the interview went uh, long again, so this will be two long episodes for you guys in a row. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I've been a huge fan of Grant Cameron's. Yep. So uh, Grant kind of speaks for himself. We'll kind of leave that as it is. I, I, we want to keep this short and sweet, like I was saying. Um, we did want to talk about we've booked up for August, so it looks like you fuckers are stuck with us for another uh, month at least. Yeah, and, but we won't be coming up with more than one episode a week, right? Like that pace is just uh, unsustainable. Yeah, I think we did about... Uh, 14 episodes or something like that in our first two and a, two months and a bit. So we're going to be slowing down now. Or basically our first two months, we did uh, 12 or 13 episodes. So we're going to be slowing down now to one a week and, and see how that goes. Yeah. And so upcoming, we've got uh, Matt Staggs, who's got his uh, DisinfoCast. Yeah, he's the host of the DisinfoCast, and I believe he's... Uh, an editor or a pub or a writer over at disinfo.com. Yeah. And then uh, after that, we've got uh, Richard Serrett, I hope, from uh, The Conspiracy Show. Uh, Thomas Fusco first. Right, uh, Thomas yeah. Fusco. And he's got that book, Behind the Cosmic Veil. Yeah, exactly. He's a, he's a pretty interesting guy. Yeah, that should be good. He'll be, uh, he'll be coming. We'll be talking to him on the 14th, so you'll see the episode uh, not long after that, I'm sure. They're getting a little easier to edit as we go. Yeah, and then and then Richard Serrett from the Conspiracy Show, Zoomer is it Zoomer Radio eleven forty AM eleven forty AM seven forty. Yeah, Zoomer Radio, uh, based out of Toronto. Uh, another guy we've been following for a while, so that'll be uh, uh, great to talk to him. Uh, if you guys haven't heard of him, it's a, he's got a podcast as well, the Conspiracy Show podcast, and uh, I suggest you check it out. And then who's next? The last one in August is... Uh, Lauren Coleman, a renowned cryptozoologist. I'm sure he needs no introduction, as well as he's into pretty well everything, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, looking forward to that one, too. Talk to him about that little Bigfoot video from uh, just where close to where I used to live in Mission, B.C. there. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were talking about that on uh, Mysterious Universe. That's oh, were right. they? Yeah, yeah, they what? were on Today's. I, oh, I haven't even got to Today's yet. What'd they say about it? They said it was pretty good, and then they said it could just be a guy in a suit. Oh. Could always just be a guy in I a know, suit. I know, but anyways, that's Bigfoot for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's anything else we really need to get to. No, let's just get on with this uh, long and fantastic interview with Grant. Yeah, enjoy, guys. It was a good time, so uh, we hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. So here we are with uh, Grant Cameron tonight, uh, as promised. Grant Cameron's been involved in uh, UFOs been, since back in the mid-70s. He had his own sightings and Flappa sightings back in uh, Manitoba. And then he got into uh, working, uh, studying like the 50s Canadian government and the flying saucer, saucer type stuff. 
And then he went into uh, presidential investigations and talking about uh, and researching presidents and UFOs. He's got a website called Presidential UFO. He's also, uh, you know, he's lectured all over the place, North America, and I think uh, in Europe. He's got a couple of awards under his belt. The 2012 Great Britain Exopolitics International Researcher Award. And I was uh, in, uh, in the audience when he received his 2013 UFO Congress Researcher of the Year Award. I loved his little acceptance speech. It was very good. I'm a huge fan of Grant's. I've been like uh, a fan for many years. So uh, welcome to the show, Grant. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate your, your interest in the, uh, the big hype for the bio there. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it. Yeah. yeah. So you're from Winnipeg. I actually, I grew up uh, in, in a little town in Ontario just over the border. I, I actually spent quite, quite a bit of time there when I was 18, uh, when I was too young to drink in Ontario. <laughs> I, could, I could go over to Winnipeg and have a good time. Yeah, well, there's been some pretty weird stuff over there. And you probably are familiar with the Michalak case at Falcon Lake just across the border. And now we've got another one that hasn't really been publicized, but... Uh, pretty impressive at uh, West Hawk Lake on the other side in the Ontario side of the border uh, a five person abduction and um, very very bizarre I haven't talked to any of the people I've uh, interacted with uh, an associate of mine who knows one of them the only guy that's come public and the reason they haven't come public is they are very prominent uh, business people Air Force people all got abducted at the same time and are absolutely horrified at what happened and uh, one guy's uh, actually made a couple of predictions. The one he made was um, uh, the flight from Rio de Janeiro going to France. Uh, he predicted that, that it would go down in the Atlantic, it would make it. And when he did that, my associate actually uh, taped a second interview with him with five other people in the room. And in that one, he predicted uh, that there was going to be the BP oil spill. He didn't mention BP, but he, he stated that he'd been shown this huge oil slick and four days later there was the BP oil uh, thing in the in the in the Gulf of Mexico so that is a pretty prominent thing I want to try to get into these guys but they just definitely do not want to talk the one guy will they're going to introduce me to but the other four guys there's it's a no-go they ain't they ain't coming forward so that happened at West Hawk Lake and when uh, was that uh, this is going back a few years I'm not exactly sure I'm so off the top of my head, I would say probably five, six years ago. Oh, yeah, this pretty happened. recent, huh? Yeah, but these are apparently very, very prominent uh, business people, and one guy's an Air Force guy, and uh, so they they had uh, they even had this bizarre story they tell about um, after they realized they'd been abducted, uh, they were petrified, and uh, they were heading back to Winnipeg. And so the, uh, I think four guys took off in the car and the other guy said, well, I'll be right behind you. He went into the cabin, got the cooler, put the cooler back in the, uh, in the car and then phoned the guys and said, okay, I'm ready to go. And they said, well, where are you? Oh no, they phoned him. He put the cooler in the car and then he gets a phone call from these guys and they say, where are you? He said, what do you mean, where am I? I'm right behind you. You just took off. He said, no, we're not. We're, but we're in Winnipeg. And the guy said, get out of here. You're not in Winnipeg. And they said, yeah, we are. And they took a cell phone picture of their, I don't know, in a bar. There was someplace in Winnipeg. And they actually took a picture. And they said, look, we're in Winnipeg. And the guy said, you just left like 30 seconds ago. And so they had a, like a double. They had the first abduction type thing. And then when it ended, when these guys headed back to Winnipeg, they had the second 
they figured it was like a like a two hour another two hour thing where the one guy lost this time. So huh. the, these guys are pretty shaken by this whole situation. And uh, my friend knows who most of them are, uh, but he he's agreed to get me in contact with the one guy who's got all these uh, predictions. And he calls them um, the people that abducted them. He calls them shims because he couldn't tell whether they were he's or he or she's. So he calls them shims. Oh. <laughs> and uh, he gets abducted quite often, and it's, it's an astral type production, uh, abduction rather than um, physical. A physical. In fact, the one that he tells about um, when he they showed him the BP oil spill and said this would be the biggest natural disaster in in human history. Uh, he was scuba diving in the Caribbean, and so when he got pulled, he was very angry at at the aliens, and he was saying, "I'm down there. I'm I'm scuba diving." And what are you doing? And they said, don't worry about it. We've taken care of your body. Don't worry about it. And then they sort of take him on this sort of trip, which which usually happens. And uh, so hmm. it, it, there are there are a number of weird things. Plus, there's another uh, girl, and I'm I'm just getting in contact, and she's in. Uh, I don't know where you were, but she's in Sioux Lookout, and uh, Aboriginal girl who it's, I had a bizarre experience. Like as you may know, I got into this consciousness type thing. Mm-hmm. And all this weird stuff started happening. It, it, the, the initial thing started in February of 2012 when I was in Phoenix. And I heard uh, Colin Andrews give this lecture on consciousness circles. And this all this stuff popped into my head from 35 years of research. Stuff that people had said that basically I really hadn't figured out or it was there. I knew it was in my head. But suddenly all this stuff came together. And I'm going, oh, that's what everybody's talking about. This is what they're referring to, this consciousness thing. And then all these kind of weird synchronicity things started happening. And one was that in Winnipeg, we've really never had a UFO group here. And we've got, like a lot of people, got seven or 50,000 people, but there's no real UFO group. And so uh, um, it, it was this year in February when I lectured at uh, Phoenix, I was suddenly started getting all these people on Facebook from Winnipeg that wanted to have a group, they wanted to have a meeting and stuff. And it was uh, kind of weird. And then suddenly there was another group forming. And uh, there's about 50 people now, like in wow. not, not the people that come, but it was just this sort of weird synchronicity of suddenly all these people wanted to have a meeting. We're in 37, 38 years. There'd never been a, a group or anybody trying to put anything together. But anyway, that was, so these people are contacting me on Facebook and indirectly through secondary people and stuff. And I figured, well, maybe I'll have a sort of a, a group where I'll, you know, just sort of get some people together and sort of. You know, because I've got lots of contacts with a lot of the major researchers in in North America, where I can sort of link in on Skype and bring them on a Skype teleconference yeah, yeah. type thing, and then have these people just sit around and talk to these people. So that's what I was planning to do. But this other group was forming a meeting, and so they had had one meeting, I think, and then I went to this, I was because I was traveling in February and March, so I came back for their meeting in March, and I figured, oh, I'll go to this thing, and I, I contacted my associate prominent businessman here in Winnipeg he's the guy's in contact with these five abductee people and I said uh, I said well come on let's let's go to this meeting and see what's going on there so we walk into this meeting it was really strange because I really not been into abductions or experiencers or any that kind of stuff I was familiar with the, the literature or whatever and I but I I knew that the statistics were two percent that mm-hmm. that was the Roper poll in the 1990s that was financed by Bigelow. It said two percent of people have experiences that could be sort of categorized as experience contacts. 
I go into this room and there's 15 people at this meeting and there was me and there was the guy and I've had a lot of sightings but I've never had any sort of weird uh, you know contact type contact type experiences or anything like that and uh, the guy that was running it had had no sort of contacts but the everybody else in the room it was the weirdest thing it was I would say at least 12 out of the 15 people were outright, flat-out contactees. Hmm. And it was just the weirdest stories. One woman was taking pictures of the aliens in her backyard. She's there, you know, they're, they're interacting with her. And the one woman had repeated experiences. And this is one of the people that contacted me on Facebook. I dragged her to the meeting, too. She'd had these contacts, and there was, there's no doubt something weird's going on for a number of years with her. And then there was this Aboriginal girl who we haven't really regressed. We've we actually got someone training here now. Uh, under Dolores Cannon to do these regressions and this one girl her name is Mary and she was from the Sioux Lookout uh, area she, that's where she is now but there's down an Indian Reserve she works with uh, the ch Child and Family Services so she uh, moves around from you know reserve to town and all over North northern Ontario and she tells this very bizarre experience and a classic abduction experience like missing time uh, petrified things pacing the car, uh, there's another girl, another woman that was working with her in the front seat, there was a 16-year-old girl in the back seat, and it's just the, the wildest experience, and uh, I, I'm now in contact with her in terms of all, all this weird sort of stuff where uh, out of this experience that we haven't really got to the bottom of, uh, I'm doing a, another book, I'm doing a book called um, uh, Alien Bedtime Stories. And basically, nice. what it is 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 just because I, I found like I the book that I just put out this UFOs Area Fifty One and Government Informants mm -hmm. is a book, but if you're not into UFOs very much, it's kind of a hard book to read because it's yeah. very sort yeah. of it's a lot of footnoting, it's a lot of uh, trying to prove to the skeptic that you know this thing's for real and yeah. and yeah. and that kind of stuff. That's but kind it, of it, a problem with a lot of the books out there. I find like. Uh, not for like people who are interested in the subject, like Graham and I. Well, we read them all, of course, yeah. and love them. But uh, it seems like you know, even like fifteen or twenty years ago, they were an easier read. Like I remember when I was a young kid, being able to pick up on some of it. It seems yeah. like most of the literature out there nowadays has gotten. It's kind of all exactly. growing. So for new people getting in, it's kind of probably a little yeah. overwhelming. Yeah, it's almost like uh, uh, Richard Dolan had started that sort of thing, yeah. where you're you're basically doing a historical type thing, where you're footnoting and you're you know going using as many references as you can to prove your point and that sort of thing. Yeah, and and in the old days you had the books by uh, Frank Edwards and uh, stuff like that, where he did that sort of thing, where it was just like little short stories. So that's what I, I had. I have. A, I've always had these stories, and what happens is I put these things on on my website or whatever, and I think, man, this is the greatest story going, you know. And they, they each story would usually get maybe a thousand people to read it, but that would be over, you know, two or three months. And there was really, when it comes right down to it, really nobody was reading the stories that, and I thought they were really great. So what I decided was, you know, uh, I found through my experience in talking to people that the people on the street really aren't there they don't want you really to convince them that it's really for real they just want to hear a good story so yeah. i figured, uh, man i got all these like really weird stories and i'll just tell these uh these weird stories so you can read one as be four or five pages you can and go to bed whatever so one of the chapters i'm doing like i do uh uh one on aliens in the crystal ball and these are people Ooh. just that i've contacted in the last six months who have these predictions? Like I mentioned, this guy was dealing with the shims, who was showing this this crash of um, 
you know, the uh, Air France jet coming out of Rio de Janeiro. And uh, I have Chris Bledsoe, this very sort of, he's becoming a very famous contact, uh, contactee in North Carolina, who uh, the Warner Brothers wants to do a movie on his story. It's, it is one of the most bizarre stories. And I've sort of interacted with him. I went down to North Carolina and I met up with him a couple times, got his story. And he, of course, had the prediction, uh, which just popped into his head. He was lecturing in Asheville, North Carolina last year. And he started to get heckled from the audience. And into his head uh, came these predictions. Hmm. And what, what, what his thing was that when he was, did the regression is he's been told he has a burden. He has this message he's supposed to put out to the world. And he really wasn't doing it. And it wasn't until he went to Asheville, he got pulled again. And they said, this is your burden. It's yours to carry. And so he realized he had to start talking about this. Hmm. So he agreed to do this Asheville thing. And then he starts getting heckled from the audience. And into his head pops this thing and said, Tell him about the earthquake in uh, Baja, California on September the 25th. So he says, there's going to be an earthquake in Baja, California on September the 25th. And then they say, tell him about the, the fact that there's going to be a disruption to the election, a major natural uh, disaster that's going to affect the 2012 election. So he said, there's going to be a natural disaster. And of course, uh, when it came down to it, September 25th, there was three earthquakes, mm. 6, 6.2, 4.2, and 4.9 off the coast of Baja, California, and uh, Hurricane Sandy, of course, wiped out uh, New York and New Jersey, and they had a bunch of polls were closed, and uh, Obama got all sorts of advantage. He went in there, and, you know, he was sort of the, the uh, comforter-in-chief through the disaster area, and uh, so the, the, both predictions came true. But getting back to this woman from northern Ontario, this Mary, uh, when she was telling her story at this, uh, this event, she starts talking about the fact that, that she saw the planes crash into the, the Trade Center the night before 9-11. And I went, get out of here. And, so, and now I've contacted her back and I said, I need the exact story of how this happened and mm -hmm. what you saw in your vision. And it's incredible. I've got uh, a lot of them uh, just in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you know the one about Stan Romanek. I was involved in a uh, – there was a conference that was taking place in um, – uh, New Jersey, and Stan Romanek and his wife Lisa were there. They were flown in by a guy by the name of uh, Mark Leon, and Mark Leon spends a lot of time. He's very interested in this, this couple, so he flew them in for a conference, and uh, I was brought in uh, in the evening on a on a sort of a, a Skype conference, and the discussion was consciousness, so they had this sort of a panel I was on. But anyway, Stan Romanek's going back to, he lives in Denver, Colorado, he and his wife are sitting on the uh, runway, ready to taxi to take off out of LaGuardia. And suddenly Stan says to Lisa, he grabs her hand. He said, something just happened to a plane. And he's just freaking out. And this went on for about 10 minutes. He's all upset. And that was, of course, the plane that landed and, and lost the front, uh, landed on the front uh, uh, wheel and crashed on, on the LaGuardia airport. They were taxiing to go off. And, and Stan picked this up. He said, something's happened to a plane. And then 10 minutes later, the, the guy came across the intercom and said, our flight's going to be delayed. There's been a crash on the runway. Wow. So, so you get these kind of things, and it's just bizarre. The, the number of uh, predictions that I've got from people that I know, and these aren't like I'm not reading these out of books. These are things that I've personally yeah. experienced with people uh, around me just in the last six months. There's got to be millions of uh, things where people are predicting. I have a woman who, another example, a woman uh, lived in Steinbach, which is sort of in the south 
eastern corner of uh, the province, and it's all Mennonite, which I don't know if you're familiar, but this is like pretty strict uh, sort of fundamentalist uh, Christian thing where it's, it's uh, you know, it's all community. Uh, it's very, very strict. She was a Mennonite, and she had this experience at five years old, and I came in only in contact with her in the last couple of weeks, and I contacted her, and I had heard her the one ability she had after this sort of experience of being abducted her whole life was that she's able to um, either through a name or through a picture she can be given a picture and I found out through a NASA engineer about her that he was he was testing her and he could give her a picture and she could tell this guy exactly what was wrong with this person this person's got this wrong with them and I asked her to describe what this was and she'd say the part of the body that, that there's a problem with it'll be all white and she describes this but the other thing she has is she's able to make these predictions. And I said, well, how often has this happened? She said, she said it happens twice a week. Wow. And it's, and it's been going on her whole life. She said it's like being on the Internet full time, hmm. that this stuff. And she she's, seems to be picking up on uh, train crashes. There was a train crash in China that she actually was able to catch on the Internet before they, they pulled the story down. Because the Chinese covered it up, it was a major train collision that she picked up, and she apparently picks up a lot of uh, uh, coal mine disasters, where she's able to determine there's a, the coal mine disaster is going to happen. So I'm following this woman, and this is only in the last couple of months where you have all these people that are predicting stuff, and uh, it, it it's quite an interesting world when you get into it and you see some of the stuff that that. The, the general public doesn't know. So I do a chapter just on predictions where all these weird little stories of people predicting things that, that actually came, came to happen. The crazy, the crazy part is that you've been researching this stuff for 30 some odd years. And as soon as you start focusing on the consciousness aspect, you're all of a sudden uh, like directly involved with all these personal accounts. Yeah. It, it's weird how the synchronicity thing works. I never really had experienced that in my life. But uh, you'll hear abductees and you'll hear people who are on a spiritual journey or whatever. They'll always talk about this synchronicity that the right people show up at the right time and, and weird things happen. And I even had my first sort of experience uh, where I've never really, as I said, I've had a lot of UFO sightings, but never anything psychic or weird or something. I had the, my first one, which is going, going, going back two months ago with one of these contact people where I'm downtown and they have a uh, sort of an event here where all the they open up all the historical buildings in the city, and I'm with my girlfriend, and we're going from one historical event. We're going to the Fort Gary Hotel, which is the sort of the haunted hotel, mm -hmm. here, the big hotel, and we're heading towards the Fort Gary Hotel. And I said to my girlfriend, it just popped in my head. I said, I, when I get to the Ho Fort Gary Hotel, I'm going to run into somebody that I know. And it didn't happen at the Fort Gary Hotel. It happened about a block away on the way to the Fort Gary Hotel. And here's this one woman who's had this abduction experience. Her father is a very sort of prominent uh, researcher working with uh, the AIDS virus and stuff out of Mexico uh, who's had prediction experiences, which I'm just trying to get these back from him. Uh, and suddenly here she is, this Lucy, and I'm going, what the, I, I was just floored because it never happened to me before where I had these kind of weird things. And here's Lucy and her husband, like 30 seconds after I said, I'm going to meet somebody that I know. And here comes Lucy. And I'd only known Lucy <laughs> since this, this meeting in February. And it was just for, for a person like me, this was sort of shocking. This was sort of like, wow, this is almost like confirmation that, yeah. that we're head, we're heading down the right road here. Yeah. Yeah. We've actually been experiencing a few of those our, ourselves since starting up the podcast. Um, you were talking about 
uh, predictions and things like that. And that's something that really kind of interests me because there's, there's been more than once in, in my life that I've noticed like nothing major, but almost like a deja vu where you, I'll get a glimpse of something that's going to happen. And, you know, a few hours later or a day later, you find yourself in that kind of situation. Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of neat how, how the new, like the new physics and like quantum mechanics are kind of showing us that these things are possible. Yeah, that's exactly it. I've just been working on that weirdly just in the last couple of days, and that's this whole idea. Uh, I have a prominent associate who came to me. I'll tell you the story. It's very bizarre. He said, I, I've known he had sightings. He had a couple of sightings. He was in this experiencer meeting. At first, I didn't think he was one of the experiencers, but um, he'd had two very sort of dramatic sightings. One was at a – he has a cottage out in the southeastern uh, – southwestern – portion of the province near Brandon and uh, this thing he just got this experience he was watching a movie it was sort of a I don't think it was an alien movie but it was a science fiction or something like that and he said uh, you need to go outside and sky watch and he walked out onto the patio of his uh, hmm. of his cottage and this object and it wasn't a flying saucer but it was like a like a, a square type clear white object slowly flew by and he, he called his wife she came out and she said yeah and they're looking at the thing it was very close and it flew right by and then he had another experience he lives on the Assiniboine River here in the in the in the city and the second time he was there and this thing huge orange ball flew by and so then he came to me this is only going back two weeks and he said um I now know where the the UFO came from, I and he's had black black helicopters and stuff like that in the last uh, month. A lot of black helicopters over his house. His wife's experienced these uh, golfing, and it's just like he's haunted by these black helicopters. So anyway, he says to me, he says, I, "I know, I know where the UFO came from, the one I saw at the lake." And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "I sent it myself." And huh. I said, "You sent it yourself?" He said, "Yeah." I just figured out how it works, and he's dealing with a number of people, and he's saying, I, 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 I'm coming from a future existence. I live in the 2213, and I sent that UFO to my lifetime at this time to wake myself up, and that my job, and he's saying, and he's, <laughs> so, whoa, this is, a, is that this, like we live in a simulation type shit? Well, yeah, I'll explain this in a second here. So he, he's telling me, he said, like, and he's a very prominent guy, he's a... He's a pretty big guy if you knew who he was. Yeah. And he and he's saying my job is to contact seven prominent people huh. and and convince them to move this thing out into the open. And and he's con oh. got contacts with with politicians and stuff like that. And I don't know who his seven people. He says he really doesn't know who the seven people are yet, but that's his his rec his idea now that he has to contact these seven people. So anyway, he tells me the story and it's just like I'm going, yeah, oh, you know, like I'm I'm pretty open minded, but I'm thinking like this is this is pretty weird, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if I can handle this. And then and then I'm watching. I don't know if you ever watch uh, Bashar. I just got into this a couple months ago. Yeah. I, I, I've known about channeling. Yeah, and I know I know the Canadians were dealing with this alien by the name of Afa in the 1950s. The guy that ran the Canadian government program and his wife told me all these stories and how they you know opened Suffield, Alberta. Uh, oh, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's what they had done is is that Wilbur Smith, who ran the Canadian government program, had said to he there was three people involved. There was the the Prime Minister Saint Laurent was involved. There was the second was the RCMP were involved. And the Defense Department was involved. And so Wilbur Smith had said, if you quit trying to shoot these things down, I'll get one to land at Suffield, Alberta. Yeah. 
And the interesting part is this is 1954, and that Paul Hillier, when he opened the UFO landing base at St. Paul, Alberta, actually talked about this. And he said that this is not the first time we've had a UFO landing base. We had one at Suffield uh, in 1954. It was top secret. It was never made public. And nothing landed there for UFOs. You know, UFOs don't exist. So this is a speech he gave at a centennial in, in July of 1967 in St. Paul, Alberta. So anyway, I, I go after Hellier and I'm trying to get him to explain. I said, you know, it were, me, I'm emailing him and not emailing writing him in the 1970s there's another researcher's buggy and we both are after him for the same thing you made this speech you said that we opened this base that's fine that the ufos are supposed to land there mr hellier how do the ufos know where to land somebody has to be in contact mm-hmm. they get they're not just going to show up at suffield if you open the base somebody has to be in contact but i already knew from wilbur smith who had died in 62 i interviewed his wife in 1977 and she's the one that told me the story because i showed her the, the 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 article from the winnipeg free press which described held your speech and i said to her I, I gave it to her and i said can you tell me whether wilbur's involved and she read the thing and she said yeah that was wilbur and I said, well, what actually happened? She said, well, Wilbur went to the Canadian government and to the RCMP and to the Defense Department. And he said that if you don't shoot it down, I'll get AFA to land at Suffield, Alberta. So that's how they opened Suffield, Alberta. They opened it up. And, of course, you know, it's like the Area 51 in Canada. They did all sorts of nerve gas experiments there. And it was, you know, it's got the restricted, you can't fly over it and all this sort of stuff. And it, it, maybe it's not as high secret as it was in, in that time. But uh, so... Then there was an agreement made that they would they would they would not shoot it down, but they couldn't get a 100% guarantee that they would allow it to take off. And I think it was uh, it was the prime minister and the cabinet who mm. wouldn't wouldn't totally agree to this. So Wilbur said, "Okay, that's it. Nobody's going to land." Yeah. And uh, so he called the whole thing off. And so that's what happened. This thing was opened up. The UFO was supposed to land, and because they couldn't get the guarantees from the people who were going to get make the contact. But this was done through this channeling thing. And in 1959, I tell one of the stories I'm going to tell in this book, the the alien bedtime stories, is a story about the CIA channeling this alien in 1959. That the 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 guy that ran the UFO uh, desk at the CIA, his name was Arthur, Arthur Lundahl, and his assistant, whose name was Nisham, uh, this woman who's in contact with this uh, alien by the name of Afa, uh, lived right down the street from Betty Hill. Her name was Frances Swan. She had taught this Nisham guy because they were watching her. The FBI was watching her. Air Force was watching her. Everybody was very interested in this woman who was doing this channeling uh, type thing. And she taught this Nisham guy. And he goes running back to the CIA and they channel this alien and it flies by the window. And this is all we got. You know, we got the documents, all this sort of stuff. So that was one of the stories I was going to tell. But uh, so I, I sort of knew the channeling was what had been done. And so then I sort of, somebody introduced me to this Bashar guy, and I sort of, uh, it's kind of weird. I'm like uh, looking at this stuff, and he gets into this thing about um, uh, the fact that there is no time. Mm-hmm. And, and there's always these things in, in you know, quantum physics and Einstein talking about it, that this is an illusion, the same as space is an illusion. Yeah. And, and, you know, like the space idea that if you take all the human bi- beings in the world, and you take out all the space between their their molecules, you're going to be left with a pile of matter the size of a grain of rice. It is all space. It is all illusion. It's there. There is no uh, solid material. You're looking at electromagnetic fields, and therefore, if you're an alien, and people say, "Oh, you can't," you know, people say, "Oh, I went." They brought me through the wall or through the window, and you're going, "Ah, get out of here!" I mean, <laughs> solid. You can't do that. And if you look at the the thing about space, that is 99. 
point and then put 13 nines after it. It's that much space that, of course, I mean, it's all space. So you can move a, a human being through a window or through a wall. There's no big thing. You just got to understand how it works. Yeah. And uh, so when this Bashar guy starts, he, he starts and he, he I, I watch a lot of his stuff. And I'm thinking like, man, this, you know, this, I don't know if this is for real or this is subconscious or what's going on here. But he's making a lot of sense. I mean, most of his stuff, he's making sense. Yeah. And that's the one thing he talks about is this idea that, there is no time. Like he always say, gives the illusion or the example. He says, check your watch. What time is it? It's now. Yeah. Check your watch again. What time is it? Now. It's always now. It will always be now. And he talks about this simultaneous lifetimes that like everything pitch, is. Like the, picture every, frames. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is together. That all your lifetimes are exactly on top of each other. Yeah. And that's how when you get precognition where somebody can move into the past or the future that all they're doing is they're moving from from one that, that everything is the same that you're in the same spot all the time and all your lifetimes are on top of each other yeah. and they're and they're all coexisting. And then if you if you followed now there's um uh, this Dr. Uh, Julia Asante. I don't know if you've followed her. If you get her book, if you interview her, fascinating. You get this topic. She. That's exactly what she says. And I've heard that a lot. It's about past lives and your future lives and your current life being concurrent in the in, concurrent. The, in time and, and, and space. Yeah. And here's a here's a. I think she's at Princeton or whatever. I mean, she's done. Uh, she wrote this 376 page book, and her thing is on contacting the dead, which is what she spent her time doing near death experiences. She's not doing UFOs stuff and that's what she's saying and she's arguing this uh, with uh, this consciousness show that I have a lot of contact with and he's sort of saying well you know I don't know about this and and I'm I'm listening to her I'm going like that's what Bashar said that's what my buddy said yeah. and it's it's like the synchronicity where suddenly within about a month three people come to me with this this idea oh. that there is no time and and it all these lifetimes are on top of each other and that's how you can sort of move from from one to the other is you just got to understand how this works that there is no time there is no space it's all illusion and uh, that the aliens just understand this kind of stuff. So, so, so get this. I saw Bashar live in uh, Sedona. Wow. And I came back and did a past life regression. Actually, one of my level one was before I went and level two when I came back. And I also heard three people. And I think I heard Julia Assange uh, on one Sante, of the podcasts yeah. talking about this concurrent, uh, your concurrent lifetime. So the same thing happened to me. I saw Bashar live and then I heard it from three other people. While I was doing this past life regression, and seeing him live was was quite amazing, actually. Well, you, you're going to have to send me the uh, if you can get the references because I'm gathering all the references. Actually, it was weird. I mean, I went to Los Angeles to show you how this synchronicity thing worked. I go to Los Angeles just after I started watching Bashar, and I and what I would do, like I I, I bike around quite a bit. And I'll, you know, like I, I do some volunteer work on the other side of the city. So I'll take the bike and it takes, you know, it's like 10 kilometers. So it'll take me like 40 minutes. And so I load my MP3 player every day with, with all this stuff. Yeah. So for a cup, cup for about a week and a half or two weeks, I was loading all the Bashar stuff onto my thing. And I'm, so I'm listening to him. And uh, so I'm really into it. And then all of a sudden uh, I'm going to Los Angeles. I'm doing uh, an interview for James Fox for this, uh, he calls it the 701, this documentary. Yeah, the new thing. one coming out. Yeah. yeah, so I, I'm doing my thing, and I go there, and darn, if I, I look, Bashar is lecturing the same day I'm there, and I'm going like, <laughs> what's the chances of this? But the problem was that L.A., what a horror story. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I didn't get back to the hotel from the studio until 7.30, and he started at 7.30, and the, 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 uh, the, 
San Diego freeway that was right where I was, was still like a parking lot. And I was just so frustrated with the traffic. I didn't go. So I, I bought the ticket and everything, but I, I didn't go. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, this synchronicity thing of all these weird things going on. And there's actually a girl in Winnipeg, you're talking about synchronicities, uh, that I, I, they wanted me to go. She said that she was channeling, that she could channel. And she was, she claims that she's the granddaughter of Bashar in this future life that she and she had a private meeting with him like about two weeks ago in Los Angeles and when I listened to her talk I mean she's just like wow it's almost like the Bashar thing where you're going like that makes sense that makes sense and I'm I didn't even want to have this meeting with this woman I'm going like I don't want to get involved with some Chandler lady that (laughs) you know and when I sat down with her after about an hour I'm saying can you do a presentation? If I get a bunch of people together, can you do a two-hour presentation for me? And all I want you to do is just sit there for two hours and tell people what you think is the most important thing that people should know in this lifetime. Because she just amazed me with her wisdom. She knew all this sort of stuff. And she's only like, she's uh, she's half Aboriginal, half uh, uh, white. And she's like only 28 years old. And she's got the wisdom of like like 20 lifetimes. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe listening to this woman. So you get all these Bashar, you get all these synchronicities, all this kind of stuff happening. And it's just weird how it it, it sort of all comes together. And uh, it, since this uh, consciousness thing, so that's where I'm sort of, I've left everything behind and I'm sort of racing down this road. Wow. And and trying to pick up, because you're, you're into areas that you really haven't studied like you you know you got to pick up quantum physics and you got to figure out what they're talking about and you got to go through the the quantum hologram and figure out what they're talking about and edgar mitchell and some of this stuff can sort of twist yeah. your brain oh, when you yeah. start start look you got to watch these videos about five five or six times even to figure out what they're talking about because you listen to edgar mitchell talk about this kind of stuff yeah he's saying i mean basically we got to figure it out we almost got the math- mathematical equations and that was the the initial inspiration I had in Phoenix, which blew me away. Was he's talking about? Uh, Colin Andrews is talking about the consciousness in the circles, mm-hmm. and and he had put out this thing. He had been financed by Rockefeller uh, to do find out how many of the crop circles are hoaxed and how many of them are real. So he did this this you know this study, and he found out eighty percent of them are hoaxed and twenty percent were real. And of course, when he put that out back about ten years ago. I mean, the, the UFO community would nothing to do with them. And the guy's working for the government. He's yeah. a snake in yeah. the grass and all this sort of stuff. So this is the first time he'd really lectured since he put this thing out 10 years ago. And he comes, and I'd never heard him lecture. I didn't have any intention of going to the lecture. And I figured, oh, I've never seen him lecture. I might as well go in there. Because, if you know, at Phoenix, I mean, there's so many lectures. Yeah. That at the yeah. odd time, there's a lecture. You go, ah, I'm going to go for lunch instead yeah, of watching yeah. this lecture. So I had no intention of going. And I went in there. And suddenly, this stuff all popped into my head. And the three main things that convinced me when he's talking and his lecture was basically this idea that, uh, the 80%, the 20% are real. They're being done by the, the aliens and the 80% that are hoaxed are also being done by the aliens. They're telling the hoax people what to do. And I'm thinking that's weird. And all this stuff is popping into my head. And the thing that popped into my head was three main things. The one was that I had always, the Canadian government, we have the, the most famous UFO document in Canada. We have the, there was called the, it's generally called the top secret memo. This is the document. The Canadians in 1950 want to know what the story is on flying saucers. So Wilbur Smith goes down to the United States. He's in Washington. He's doing uh, business on uh, uh, frequencies. He's a radio engineer. So they're negotiating frequencies and between the Americans and the Canadians, FM frequencies, AM frequencies. So he goes down there on a conference 
and he starts asking through official channels, through the military liaison at the Canadian embassy. He's asking through official channels, what's the deal on flying saucers? Is this stuff for real? All these books are out. Frank Scully's book on the crash at Aztec was out. Uh, Ed, um, Kehoe's book had just come out. Uh, flying saucers are real. And so it was a prominent thing in 1950. And so he asked and basically he's told and I've, for 30 years, I talked about this memo. You know, it's the most highly classified subject in the United States, two points higher than the hydrogen bomb. Flying saucers exist. There's a small group headed by Dr. Vandevar Bush who are trying to figure out what's going on and that it's of tremendous significance to the Americans. So I'd always, when I lectured, I'd talk about this top secret memo. The very next line, when I'm watching this lecture in Phoenix, suddenly pops into my head. The very next line is the most important line, Wilbur Smith says. And I was, we were fur I was further told by American officials, not people in the street, American officials, that other things might be associated with the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. Now, when I'm watching this lecture in Phoenix, this pops into my head. That's what he's talking about. It's this consciousness thing. And it's so significant in September of 1950 for three reasons. Number one, the Betty and Barney Hill story would not be public for 16 years. The first of uh, contactees would not appear until after they detonated the first hydrogen bomb in November of 1950. That's when the first contactees suddenly came forward and said, stop the atomic testing. And the third was that six months after Wilbur Smith made this comment that the American officials told them that mental phenomena was associated with the flying saucers and that this was significant, MK Ultra started oh. at, in Montreal. The first meeting with the Canadians the CIA, the oh. British people took place six months later after that memo was written. And one of the people in the top secret memo is Dr. Oman Salant. Smith mentions him that he's involved in this. He's in the meeting in the MK Ultra. Yeah. He's the Canadian representative. So the, the, so this is the first thing that pops into my head, this fact that the Canadians were told that mental phenomena was involved in 1950. <laughs> and they would have had to have known from the Roswell crash because they had a live alien who was talking to them telepathically. And plus they, they probably realized that the the craft was that they were flying this thing with their mind, which yeah, I'll get into yeah. in just a second. Yeah, with so your new, with one of your new blogs too. I want to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So the, the second item that came into my head that popped in my head as they was doing this thing was we had we had uh, when we the, we went to the Canadians. The Canadians led us. One of the people that was feeding this material to the Canadians was a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Sarbacher, and Sarbacher, when he was interviewed by Stanton Friedman in 1983, Stanton saying you know, what was involved. And he said, well, there was this series of briefings at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base on a crash flying saucer. And I couldn't go, but I was in a Navy office and I was listening to all these people who were coming into the office who were talking about what they were discovering, all these scientists. So Stanton said, well, who was there? And he said, Von Braun was there. Uh, uh, Vannevar Bush was there. Von Neumann, the guy that invented the computer, was there. All these high-ranking scientists. And Stanton saying, well, all these guys are dead. Is there anybody that still might be alive? And he said, well, there was this one guy. He was in Pennsylvania. He was a he was a real arrogant guy. He thought he knew everything. He went to all the meetings. He knew everything, and he might still be alive. He was tracked down. It turned out it was Dr. Eric Walker, former president of Penn State University, fourteen yeah. honorary doctorate degrees, chairman of the Institute for Defense Analysis, the big military think tank in the United States. Incredible background on this guy. He confirms yes, MJ twelve is for real, and he starts to try to talk around questions, and he's being questioned by. Guys in Toronto, guys in Great Britain, every I just given everybody's address and his phone number, and they're trying to get this guy to talk. He can't hang up the phone, but he's talking around the subject. He doesn't. He said, "I want to talk about this. I can't talk about this subject. Leave it alone. There's nothing you can do about it." And in one particular meeting uh, interview from Great Britain, they're asking him about MJ12, and they're saying, "Are are there more than 12 people anymore?" Like the control group. 
And are they all Americans? And he cuts them off and he said, look, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And the guy in Great Britain has no answer. So Walker answers his own question. And they're talking about the control group. And Walker says, look, unless you understand about ESP and how it works, you will not be taken in. Referring to the control group. Yeah. Very few people understand it. So that's 1991. That's the second. You have the Canadian same mental phenomenon is involved. Suddenly in this interview from Walker, which I never, re- I, I knew he had said this, but I didn't really, I didn't know no idea what, what he was talking about until this Colin Andrew lecture. I'm going, that's what Walker was talking about. This consciousness thing. It's consciousness. This is the basis of how this thing works. And then two years, two to two years later, and this is is sort of now very popular in the UFO community because yeah. Jan Hartson has just been uh, appointed the head of MUFON, the international director of MUFON. So Jan Hartson in 1993 goes to a lecture at UCLA to the uh, uh, alumni meeting for engineers who graduated from UCLA. And he's there with a guy by the name of Tom Keller. These two guys are sitting in the audience and Ben Rich, who runs Lockheed Skunk Works, the SR-71, the U-2, uh, the all the drones and uh, the uh, the stealth. stealth stealth fighter and stuff like that. He's he's giving this lecture and the last slide he shows is the flying saucer. He shows the picture of the flying saucer <laughs> and he says that we now have the technology to take ET home. The lecture ends. People start asking him questions. What are you talking about? And he starts to elaborate and he says, uh, you know, people believe that it would take we couldn't do it. We found the mistake in the equation. We now know that it will not take a lifetime to go to the stars. We have the technology to take E.T. home. And he's elaborating on this. He said it'll take an act of God to get this thing out of Congress because it's so deep black. And Jen, they're listening to this, and they're just shocked. So he's just leaving. Jan Hartson yells at him as he's going out of the out of the building. There's only, he said, about five people left. He said, Ben, what do you mean you've discovered the mistake in the equation? I'm interested in UFO propulsion. How do they do it? How, how does the propulsion works? And Ben Rich turns around, says exactly what Walker had said two years before. He said, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And Jan Hartson had said he was shocked. He didn't re- realize he was going to get a question back. And he goes, well, he's thinking, well, he says, that just means that everything in time and space is connected. And Ben Rich looks at him and says, that's how it works. Walks out of the door, and that was the end. He ever never talked about UFOs again. Got in his car and drove away. So here you have these three very significant people, very high-level people, who are basically saying this is how it works. So then you get into the synchronicity thing. I put all this together. I give a, com- a couple of consciousness lectures, yeah. and the one I gave was a consciousness lecture le- this year at Phoenix. Yeah. So I, I'm there, and I give the lecture, and I lectured to the Phoenix MUFON group the week before, and I lectured on the book. I didn't lecture on consciousness because it was going to be, I figured it would be the same people, so I'd do two different lectures. So I, I lecture on the on the book, UFOs, Area 51, and Government Informants, about the, the government cover-up and how it all, I say it all works and stuff. Then the woman that's hosting me, her name is Stacy, and Stacy says, well, are you going to meet with this woman? And I'll sort of withhold her name because I, I don't know if she really wants this public, but she, and I go, well, yeah, I guess so. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, did I agree to talk to somebody? And she said, well, yeah, okay, she's coming over Monday morning. So Stacy goes to work, and this woman comes over. This woman's in her late 60s, I would say, and her boyfriend is like in his mid-70s, whatever. And I have no idea what's going to happen here. Like, I, I just figure I somehow have agreed to talk to this woman. She comes to the door with her, with her boyfriend. They knock on the door. I open the door, and I said, good morning. And she says, oh, hi. What did Stacy tell you about us? Or tell you about me? Because I didn't know the boyfriend was coming. She says, what did she tell, say about me? And I said, I don't know. I'm just supposed to, I'm supposed to talk to you. 
She says, that's good. She comes walking in. So she starts talking and it gets weirder and weirder and weirder. She's talking about, you know, consciousness and stuff. And suddenly she talks about the fact she's working for the U.S. government. She's doing remote viewing. She's hired by them and stuff like this. And then she pops the big one. She says, oh, and I, I fly the flying saucers. And I went, you I? She says, yeah, I fly, I, I fly them. I, I, I've flown quite a few of them. I said, you fly the flying saucers. And she says, yeah, they, they let me fly, to fly them all the time. And I said, yes, yeah, so how do you do it? She says, well, you do it with your mind. You fly it with your mind. So I'm going, wow, this is weird. I mean, I, maybe I'd heard it before, but it just sort of hit me. I'm like, I'm going, this is weird. I mean, this is pretty weird. And I guess it was because I had done the consciousness lecture that she brought this up. And she really didn't want anybody to know that I talked to her or whatever. I said, okay, fine, whatever. So I leave, and this is in February. And up till about three weeks ago, I had probably close to 20 people that have come to me and have told me, very most of them through dreams, most of them are being women, mm -hmm. who have said to me, I've flown the flying saucer. And I always say the same thing. I go, yeah, so how do you do it? And they say, you do it with your mind. Or you do it where... Uh, even D David Jacobs has a story where, and he, he interprets it differently because he doesn't believe in all this sort of uh, uh, consciousness and spirituality and stuff like this. To him, it's just a bunch of invaders who are here and stuff. But he talks about this experience with the woman where they put her in front of this panel where the, and a lot of abductees describe this, where the sort of the, 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 the um, wall becomes translucent and you can look outside and they show her sort of like a screen, a translucent screen, and she's looking down over the ground, and there's uh, these guys are chasing this alien. And they say, fly the ship. We've got we've to save the alien. They're, they're going to catch him. And she's going, I can't do that. And they said, yeah, you can. You can. You can. Just, just work on it. You can do it. And so she goes, oh, yeah, I guess I can. And so she flies the ship by putting her hands over this panel. But she's not touching the panel. There's this bunch of symbols. And she's usually basically using her hand, her mind, and her to fly the ship. And just as she comes to the alien, just before they're ready to pick up the alien, the aliens say, okay, that's good. And they, it all shuts down. And that's the end of the dream. Like, huh. they just shut her down. And his interpretation is they're testing her her emotional situation, that it's a, a thing they make up. It doesn't really happen. They're just making this this thing in her mind to test how she's going to emotionally respond. But this is basically the same sort of thing, which to me is significant because a lot of people will say, oh, you know, the aliens, they're here. They're going to, like even Jacobs and Hopkins, like, you know, they're, they're going to take over the world. They're going to kill everybody. And, you know, this, this end of the world scenario that they're going to take over the world and stuff. Well, why would they allow you to fly the ship if they're going to take over? Why, why would they do this? Hmm. The same as you got to ask, if you think of the aliens are bad guys, you got to ask, why are they giving an enlightenment experience? Because most people who have been abducted have been abducted their entire life, but they have one particular abduction that'll happen where it's public. They know something happened, and it's like the aliens are turning them on. Okay, now we're going to tell you what's going on. And why would they allow these people, if they're going to take over the world and eat us or whatever the heck they're going to do, why would they be telling people what they're doing? And they basically are telling people what they're doing. And you, you get this sort of thing that people have like 20 abductions, and then suddenly they get turned on. And there's a very prominent story that I played, although the audio didn't work in Phoenix. And this is this story where oh, I... Yeah where I sort of talk about the fact that there, if you think this is random, that what's going on here is random, think again when you listen to this clip. And this is Barbara Lamb. 
and you have only a number of people who are doing UFO regressions. And Barbara Lamb started in 1988. She'd never heard of the subject. She had never heard of alien abductions, nothing. She was a family therapist. and she, I, the, the tape that didn't work says, she says, I, I started my practice in 1975 as a family therapist. And in the 1980s, I started taking regression training to work with my clients. In 1988, I was taking the final step of the regression training, the highest level. And while we were doing the training, the, the instructor said, just want to let you know, while you're doing your, your therapy practice, you may from time to time run up against people who will say to you, I've been abducted by little gray aliens. Mm. And Barbara Lamb says in the back of her head, she's saying, that's weird. I've never heard of that before. That's really weird. And then she said, as she's thinking this, in the back of her mind, there's this big booming voice that says, listen carefully, Barbara. You're going to be doing this. And from then on, from 1988, she gets flooded with all these people. And she's now done 2,200 or 2,300 regressions of 900 people. She's one of the biggest regression people that it all came. And when I hear this thing, listen carefully, Barbara, you're going to do this. This is the alien saying, get ready. We're about to send you some people. And to me, it's all controlled. They're basically sending, turning these people on at a certain point in their life. And these people have messages that they're supposed to give. And this is how they're doing disclosure. They're doing an end run around the government. And they're disclosing what's actually going on, who they are. And it's coming out very slowly through these people. And everybody's got a message. For example, Chris Bledsoe says, for sure, absolutely knows that he's got a burden. He has this message to deliver. And he's to give it to the world. And he's been pulled a number of times and told, you're to put this message out. And there's piles of uh, regression or abductee people who've got these messages in their head that they're to do and they've got little passages or people who know they've on a mission they, they've, they have to do something but they don't know what they're going to do and they, they so they haven't been turned on yet but they know that they've been abducted they've been given a mission they just don't know what it is yet and they're waiting they're, they're they've realized something's going to happen which is what david jacobs says 2003, all his people started talking about the change, the change, the change, the change. The change is coming. It's going to be great. And he's he's upset. Like, what, what are they doing? They're integrating. And all these people started helping the aliens move into houses and stuff like that. And he, he was very distressed by this sort of thing. But everybody's talking about this thing, that something's about to happen. And these people are all being turned on. And that when whatever it is happens, all these people that are, that, that are being... Uh, grabbed or whatever have these missions and will know exactly what to do.
So that kind of leads into your your latest blog where you talk about flying saucers consciousness and the intergalactic uh, computer network. Yeah, with the the whole thing about the internet, how the internet started. I mean, you 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 go back and you you find out that the initial start of this whole thing was um, it was called the internet intergalactic uh, communication network, and the guy that did it. It's basically the whole idea of the oneness of the universe, that all the minds are connected, that the mind, if you go through the, what I talk about, the Sheldrake, which is very important, the morphogenetic fields, this idea that all minds are connected, that if you take a look at uh, uh, ants or wasps. I, I suppose or bees, that may, would make something like the internet was inevitable for, for us to create yeah. something where yeah. we, we had like the internet's almost a simulation of, of consciousness in a way exactly and that they knew this from the roswell crash in fact there's just another thing that 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 came up after that was that vannevar bush who is the guy who ran the flying saucer program because he was the uh, the advisor to roosevelt he was the the scientific advisor he was the guy that headed the atomic bomb the proximity fuse the homing torpedo uh plastic explosives, the you know, everything, all the stuff that was developed during World War II. He was a scientist in charge of all this stuff in, in manipulating this. And he wrote an article in 1947 called um, uh, as, we, as We Are, As We Should Be or something. And if you read that article from Vannevar Bush, it basically is the same sort of thing. He's talking about the Internet back in 1947, how all this stuff is going to come, come together. How would he know that in 1947? Was that late 47? Late uh, 47. I, I'll send you the connection once I yeah. find what exactly it's called, but it's a famous article. If you just Google search Vannevar Bush mm -hmm. and articles, famous articles, it's as we are, as we something, it's a famous article that he wrote. And I had read it years ago when I, when the MJ 12 document was released, I was of course researching Vannevar Bush and his connection because he was close to Eric Walker. And I, I'd read this article, but I didn't really pick up on it until after this thing with the uh, the internet thing, where the internet is basically like the consciousness idea, where there is no everything is it's not in a, any sort of computer, and that's what our minds are. Our minds are like computers that link into the the internet, and uh, the same as we might be like in. So people will say, you know, something goes wrong with the brain. Well, it's like you drop your TV or you drop your your computer it, because the the part of the brain isn't working or is getting a scrambled signal doesn't mean that that the that that something's wrong with the internet yeah, it means yeah. yeah it's like the internet it's kind of static in a way yeah so so our brain is just a receiver yeah. and and we're starting to come to that realization clearly that this is exactly how it works and and I was just working on tonight I don't know if you've seen this I posted it but one of the most incredible videos that there is you you google search rat and f22 and you'll see this thing by the guy's name was Thomas DeMars. Uh, he's at University of Southern. Is that where they implanted the memory? Where, where they take 25,000 neurons from a rat brain. They put them in a Petri dish that has electrodes on the bottom of this thing. And what they do, and he describes this. And in fact, uh, on my latest email, I, I describe how he says how it all, it all works in unity. That it's not one neuron, it's all the neurons are talking to each other and it's they have they all work together to create this amazing thing that it's it's not central to any neuron it's it's something outside the the brain and his experiment was he takes these 25,000 neurons he puts them in a petri dish and you would figure okay these these neurons are all going to die he says as you watch 
the neurons start to make connections. They're, 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 con they're disconnected, but they start to make, you see the odd one making a connection with the other one. You see the signals going between these neurons. And at the end of 10 days, all the neurons are connected and they're all, all the synapses and they're, they're talking to each other. And it is like a little tiny miniature like a brain, little rat brain. And it, he said it took 10 days to do it. And they all started to inter interconnect and it became like a brain. So what they do is they feed the signal from an F-22 simulator into this thing. And it's, it's a sort of a, a bi biofeedback thing. And the, the video is on there. It's about eight minutes long. And if you Google search that on, on YouTube, you'll watch this video and it just blows you away yeah. because they, they, they send the signal in too high, too low. And they, 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 they feed this input into this little rat brain. So what exactly is a signal? Well, the signal is they're, they're, it's the same sort of thing. They, there's an experiment they, they run where um, they can pick off, uh, they put this thing on your head. It's a, it's a, uh, a unit that they use where you can play games on the internet with your mind, where they're using like a biofeedback thing, where where if you, it, they show you a number, and if it's the right number, your brain gives a signal. Yeah. And I think it's the same sort of thing, where they're feeding this stuff, and you can watch, it's pretty complicated, but he feeds the signal in, and he says, too high, too low, and he said, after it takes a while, but suddenly the brain starts to figure, you, it, it'll respond to that signal. So if you say too low, it'll signal it and make it go down. And they have this thing, they have this rat brain that actually flies a simulator. And it can, it can do the pitch, the roll, and, and, and then they change the weather. On this video, you'll see they take the worst weather you could possibly get, and they change the weather, and the rat brain continues to fly the simulator. And the thing is, if you, if you and then, so of course, obviously you're going to go like, that was 2004, you can imagine what they can do now, because that's what, the, that's what the whole mind thing is. That's what the military wants to be able to do. That's why it's classified, is you want to be able to control other people, control machines, where you can just fly the machine just using your mind. And there was even, that's how I got to this rat brain thing was there was an idea that the pair laboratory at Princeton yeah. that they had been set to get put shielding on an F-22 because part of it was being done by the mind and they, they wanted the, the, the shielding around the weapon system so that the mind wouldn't activate the West weapon system. So that's how I got, that's how I found this video. But you look at this video, it just blows you away that the, in, in 2004, they had this, this technique where they, this brain is this from 25,000 neurons after 10 days. And then a couple of days of training can fly a simulator that even um, a human being, when you take the weather conditions that they put in, they say even the best pilot has a hard time flying that simulator, but the rat brain can fly it. So what you're thinking is that the, the neurons are actually connected to the sort of, uh, consciousness like the the global yeah, that, consciousness that, network kind yeah, of that it that it's that what you need is you need all these neurons are working together to create this sort of uh Antenna whatever it is. yeah that that yeah. links into the consciousness and that yeah. and 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 when i send you the email you'll see his uh, quote that i quote from him where he talks about this fact that it's it's like the unity of the one that you need all these neurons working together to make it work mm -hmm. and that they're all talking to each other and that it, the the actual uh mind is outside of any single neuron. It's it's it. They're all working together to create this mind or this this, this incredible power that that they have. And it's almost like uh, I don't know. I I always wonder about the simulation thing. I always get back to that. It's like if the internet is a um and kind of a virtual consciousness. A virtual consciousness. Then that almost lends to the theory that it's like a virtu. Why couldn't our our reality be a, a virtual? virtual consciousness in itself 
Well, well, that's what it comes down to is that all uh, when I when I uh, the way I'm starting my lecture now, my consciousness lecture is the only thing that you know absolutely for certain is that you're conscious. Other than that, it could all be a big dream. That's all you know for a fact is that you are conscious. Everything else, you, it comes down to your interpretations, your beliefs, because everything is going through your mind. Everything you see goes through your subconscious mind. Therefore, you're putting a spin on what you're seeing, what's coming into your ears, into your eyes, and you're interpreting it. So it, that's what it... And the fact that we all interpret basic... Yeah. yeah, but be different. But at the same time, we all kind of live in the same reality. So that kind of lends in itself to the fact that we're connected. But but it's it's what we think is reality. We we use this common sort of uh, collective reality, but it keeps changing. Uh, Six hundred years ago, we all thought the world was flat. We used to think that everything was solid. Now we know everything's not solid. We know it's all space, and and you can see the consciousness is growing. And and the other thing you have to remember is this idea about consciousness that I say it is it is it is the basis of the universe. And that comes down to this thing about the 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 whole experiment that I talk about in my consciousness lecture, the one about the entangled particles that you can take particles and this has been proven you can take a, a uh, electron a photon you can move one in one direction at the speed of light one in the other direction at the speed of light if they were connected you can take at any point you can change the spin on the one electron and the other one at exactly the same time no time and space involved will change at exactly the same time and so time and space is not a factor that defies time and space in fact they say it's 10,000 times the speed of, of, of light or instantaneous hmm. and the key to that is that if you take the one particle and you do something to it and the other one is aware of what you've done because it has to be aware of what you've done because it, it changes its spin at the same time so if a particle if a photon or an electron is conscious of what you've done to the other electron con to be aware is the definition of consciousness you are aware that is mm -hmm. consciousness. That's awareness. So if a particle is conscious, if it's aware of what you do to the other particle, then consciousness is basic to the smallest particles in the universe. Kind of like ones, ones to zeros. Yeah, it, it is the basis of the universe. That's how it works. That That's the part of how it works and that everything flows out of consciousness. The physical world is a secondary event. You have pure consciousness and the physical universe is only a thought of that consciousness, whatever the the original thing is, that we're we're sort of working it backwards. We're thinking that uh, there's even theories that consciousness comes out of black holes now, and it's and no, no, it's at the particle level. It's in, and probably at the energy level, and that's the whole idea about this this quantum hologram that they're talking about. That everything is a quantum hologram, so you you're, you're going to get a situation where every single particle can reproduce, like every single cell in the body can reproduce the entire body. Yeah. That everything is like a hologram, and that's and everything is information that that's coming through, and we're getting closer and closer to understanding how all this stuff works. Yeah, and the it's field, yeah, and it's just it's just amazing. That and that's where you, this thing about consciousness comes from is that we think we are using uh, sort of collective reality, but the collective reality is changing very fast. That even ordinary science is still way back there. If you go to quantum uh, physics, it's a completely different world. The the consciousness there is, is much more evolved and completely different. It's like a different world altogether than the the materialistic science that's still back in the 1920s that think everything is solid and that everything came out of the Big Bang and uh, 
you, you get into quantum physics, you get into Sheldrake and the morphogenetic fields and all this kind of stuff, and you go like, wow, we're not even close when you, when you get into a materialistic worldview. It's, it's not even close to reality. Is that Vannevar Bush essay, As We May Think? That's the one. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the article. And if you read it, and if you read it the right way, you look at it and you think, you know, did he have an in inkling of, of what what was going to happen with the internet and the computers and stuff like that? you got to remember, that this is long before they ever really built the, the first computer. So what, what's he talking about in this article? Yeah, and you were talking about the the Raptor, the F-22 and the rat brain. and But in your blog, that blog we were just talking about, you, you talk about how they're connecting uh, brains to machines way back in the 60s, wasn't it? Um, to, uh, yeah, there was, uh, yeah, there was something that was, but it was, um, the, the one that I remember, I don't know if I had it in the article, I haven't read the article for a while, but the one I had was, um, uh, there was a documentary that was made in the 1970s, and that's part of my book, this book that I just released, where I say the government is actually leaking the core story, they're leaking part of it, and one of the things they did was leak a bunch of stuff to two producers in, in the 1970s, Bob Emenegger and Alan Sandler. And they talked about the fact that they did this UFO documentary and talked about the landing of Holloman Air Force Base. And they put all the stuff out the government wanted out. And they were going through DARPA, which is where Walker worked. Walker was at the Institute for Defense Analysis. And DARPA came out of the Institute for Defense Analysis. And it's the, the Advanced Projects Research Agency, which does the stealth over-the-horizon radar, the, the, the top stuff that nobody really wants to work on that later goes into Skunk Works. It's developed at DARPA, mm -hmm. and and Bob Emenegger talks about 1973 or 1972. He's at DARPA, and he's oh, in a right. he's in a room, he's in a room, and the the guy's sitting on the room. There's this huge computer on the other side of the room, and he said, "Tell Bob what you're doing." He said, "No, I can't. It's classified. I can't talk about it." He said, "I'm giving you permission. You can tell him what you're doing." And the guy says, "Well, I'm talking to this computer," and he's sitting on the other side of the room, and they and Bob said that they were at that point were like seven to ten words they could do so the guy would think chalkboard and the computer would go chalkboard and they they were actually in some type of telepathy thing so this is 1972 the this is the top american military think tank is working on talking to a computer with your mind so you can see back then so if they had that 1972 yeah. what have they got now and you took a look at this rat brain and i think this rat brain thing is so significant because it is absolutely works this is this is not you know maybe it sort of works it absolutely works and this is 10 years ago and so i started looking for this thomas demars to see what he's doing now and it's like he's off the map i mean it's oh. like i I'm, I'm thinking well did this thing go black because i mean uh, i looked at it and then people i've shown i showed to this nasa engineer that, that I've been in contact with, and he was blown away with it too. And you start to wonder, like, I mean, did the military pick up on this? And how, how much have they developed on this 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 thing of, of developing a mind that can can operate machines and planes and stuff like that? And it's it's totally controllable. Yeah, it's almost like our, our human beings, like, innate attraction to, to create technology. Like... It's almost yeah. like that's what we've been working to as long as we can remember in our history. We've just been getting smarter and better and making better things. Yeah, and that, that's what the cover-up's all about. People always say, you know, they should disclose or whatever. And I, uh, I wrote an article, which on my website, presidentialufo.com, and I say, you read the article. I wrote the article on the reasons why the government's decided to, 
to not tell you the truth. And I have 65 or 66 reasons there. And the, the main one is simple technology. I mean, you take a look at this kind of stuff, you know, where you can sort of control a ship with your mind or you can abduct people and be back in uh, Washington for lunch and put stuff in people's heads and, and fly stuff. Well, and, yeah, they just uh, did that the other day. Did you read that shit about uh, they, they were able to implant false memories into mice? Well, no, I haven't seen that. That'd be send yeah, me that, that link. That I, just came out the other day. I'll, I'll get it to Graham and sure. I'll, I'll get him sure. to email it to you. Yeah, apparently and, they've, and this is what they're telling us is that they can put memories in my in mice. So how long have they been able? How long has the black world, I suppose, sure. been able to put shit into the head of a president or, or yeah. whoever they like? Sure. So that's that's what it comes down to. You 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 find the crash at Roswell, New Mexico, and you see there's no controls. And you've got an alien that's talking to you telepathically in your head, and you go like, "Holy shit, man! This is this this is recovering this up, man. We're not telling anybody about this because you you instantly, if you're military, you look and you say like, "Man, if we can develop what we've just found here, we control the world. That's all what it's about. That's that's clear. Uh, it's a no brainer why they're covering it up. It's like um, how how do you uh, draw the line between like maybe MK Ultra stuff that's going on. Uh, in dark telepathic ways compared to like abduction or true alien uh, telepathy. You cut me off. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, there's people who claim that they, they can uh, do this kind of stuff. Um, There's a story that, that I tell um, where the, the mill apps, I'm very interested in the mill app story because then you get the military where you see that they're interacting and it comes back to this thing about is, is there an evil government behind this thing? And um, it's it's a story on Lenin. I don't know if John Lennon's abduction. As you look up that article that I wrote, uh, one of the, the people that came to me, there was a woman in, in Sedona, Arizona, who uh, told me about a Milab experience, her and Melinda Leslie, who was the sort of the top Milab person. They were abducted together in military abduction, plus the woman's daughter. And they were. T- she was talking about the fact that when they were on this, uh, this it wasn't an underground base. It was sort of a thing in the sky that they were in, and they were being taught to levitate this egg-shaped object off the table. They first they would put this thing on top of their head. They would levitate this thing, and then they would take the thing off their head, and they would be told to levitate this thing through a hoop. And uh, so you you can see this thing that they're they're working on this kind of stuff. I think you have different levels of government that that the real black ops guys would have the whole thing, and that they would be able to to sort of mess with people. But I, I sort of think in the end that a lot of the government is not as black and as bad as pe- people think they are. They just want this thing covered up. They want the technology, and that because I I did a lot of research with the presidents where I'd go to presidential libraries and I couldn't find any documents and I'd read George Bush's files and the oral histories and stuff about And I never really, when you see what they were talking about in the background in oral histories and stuff like that, they were just ordinary guys who may have been totally off bases as to what they're doing and totally wacko in, in ter- ter- terms of what they think, but they actually thought they were saving the world. Yeah. And that's basically what it comes down to. So do you think that's like, even at the top, do you think that's what's going on? Cause I, yeah. I've heard people say that about like, I don't know if you believe in shit like the Illuminati, but I've heard people say this, the same thing yeah. that, yeah. you know, they believe that, that, that oh, yeah. thing could be up there, but they're not trying to be evil. Like human I, I beings agree. are innately good and they think they're doing good. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the prime example, cause I had this, this, and I've had this argument with a number of people in this thing about is there good and evil and now I've 
confirm to uh, argue with anybody. There's no such thing as evil. It's, it's, it's total nonsense. That it's 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 again it's our it's our impression. And the, and then the prime prime example of it is what is more evil? What could be more evil in the world than dropping two atomic bombs on? Japan and killing 200,000 people within a couple of seconds. Women, children, civilians doing that. That is the most evil thing you could possibly think of. And yet the people who dropped the atomic bomb were given awards when they land in the Philippines. They were given all these awards and they were proud of what they did and they thought they saved the world. So you can take the most evil thing and they thought it was the best thing that could possibly be done. They saved millions of lives. They ended the war. And these people lived their lives raising kids thinking that they had done the greatest thing in the world they were proud of what they had done so here you have something that that in one extreme someone says is extremely good someone says is extremely evil and if you took a look at everything you can flip it that way that you if you're raised in the middle east and your your family's bombed or whatever there's a good chance you're going to turn out to be hating the americans and wanting to fly planes into the world trade center yeah that's a good example i think of how the internet is changing the world because yeah. like if you did something like that nowadays you like you can't hide behind the nationalism anymore like you could back in the 40s you know what i mean like you come home and you're a hero now you'd get the entire planet's perspective on what you did and you'd probably have a pretty tough time living with it Sure, because pe- people will. That's the other argument people will say is the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and I'm saying it is absolutely not. I mean, you got to realize that consciousness. That's part of what the aliens, I think, are doing is they're raising this consciousness, this final level of consciousness. And if you take a look, and people say, "Well, you know, it's getting worse," I say, "You go back 150 years and consider that it was quite okay to think that women shouldn't vote. That was normal. You shouldn't. You could kill somebody who's gay. That was a, a death sentence." That you could call a Hunt black Indians. person, uh, yeah, call a black person a nigger. That they should use their own washrooms. That you could have a slave. What's wrong with that? I mean, you take a look 150 years ago, and you take a look at the way it is now. You see how consciousness changes. That we are elevating our consciousness. And the prime example I always use of how it suddenly it sort of it builds, builds, builds as it's going to do with the UFO thing, with this sort of uh, unity of the world and the oneness and and all these ideas about consciousness that are evolving now is the Rush Limbaugh thing. And I was in the States because whenever I go to the States, I always like to listen to Rush Limbaugh and I think he's really funny and I listen to him. I don't believe anything he says, but <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the United States when the gay issue is coming up. And they're, they're on this thing about the, the, the gays have, have sort of won it and they've got the votes and all this sort of stuff and that uh, they're going to sort of allow gay marriage. And I can still remember Rush Limbaugh saying, Oh, yeah, they've got it. Might, might as well just let them have it now. And I'm thinking Rush Limbaugh is saying, let them have gay marriage. And you can see it took. It's like I always say that people think that things happen overnight and they don't. The way the, the consciousness ri- rises in terms of what the aliens are doing or whatever happens. The prime example and Hillary Clinton talked about when she's running for president is the women's right to vote started in 1848. They did not get the right to vote till 1920. And even when they got the right to vote, it didn't mean that it would solve all the women's problems. They still had lots of problems that only solved that they were allowed to vote, that it took 80 years to get the right to vote. And any we are no different than any other social or political movement that we have to go through the work. We have to push the issue. We have to do it. And then it's going to get to the point where suddenly it's going to be like Rush Limbaugh where he's going to say, Oh yeah, well we always knew UFOs existed. What's the big deal with that? I mean, and that's the way it's going to happen. Have it. There's not going to be this big disclosure, and that's what they're trying to avoid. Is they don't want the big ex- disclosure when people aren't acclimatized. And I even quote in the book, the, this book UFOs Area 51 in the government. I describe this case with Kit Green. 
there was uh, when I talked about the channeling of the alien, it was it was Art Lundahl who was the the keeper of the of the weird, the CIA files on on UFOs, paranormal phenomena. The guy after him was Kit Green's a neuro a neurosurgeon, and he talks about uh, he he's talking to a, a guy who's writing this book. Uh, um, from Great Britain, and, and the book, the premise of the book is that it's all disinformation, that the government's just feeding us a bunch of disinformation, and Kit Green goes, uh, he's talking about the, the Serpo thing, he says, well, no, no, don't, don't throw it all out. He said, I mean, it, it, that's, uh, there's classified material, and I wouldn't, you know, discount all this, and the guy said, when he was interviewing, he's going, he's sweating, he's going like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean that this stuff's for real? This is all garbage, it's all disinformation, and Kit Green says, if you were the government, how would you do it? How would you get it out? Well, what you do is you put a bunch of uh, stories out. You know, the aliens are here. They're going to eat our kids. And everybody's all hyped up. And you put all this disinformation out. And then when the story breaks, everybody goes, oh. yeah, it's, it's just aliens? What you mean? They're not eating our kids? Yeah. And, and, the, and everybody goes, yeah, it's just aliens here visiting. And they go, well, what's the big deal? And that's, what the, that's the whole thing. And when you hear a guy, and this is a guy that ran the UFO files at the CIA is saying this, then you go like, this guy has to have some insight on what they're doing, that, that this is how it works, that they're, they put all this stuff out and they're preparing the people. They're getting people ready for the fact they're raising people's consciousness and the aliens are doing the same thing on the other side. They're, they're, that's why they're triggering people. They're not taking over the world because they wouldn't trigger people with these awakening experiences and let them sort of go crazy where they got to go find a regression person and find out what's going on and then tell them messages and show these catastrophic visions and stuff and give them all the same sort of messages there everybody's raising the consciousness and that's that's basically how it works and it may take who knows how many more years for this to come but even now if you talk to people it's not like it was when i started in the 70s where people really didn't believe it they all go yeah you know it's well, sure there's life in outer space they may not be so convinced that what i'm telling them is true but people i think basically generally accept the fact that this is for real in fact i when i do the consciousness lecture i always like to take a shot at the the atheist guys and there's victor stanger who's the sort of the new the new age or the new um, fundamentalist atheist. atheist. But, yeah, and he's one of the big guys, and he was he was doing a lecture one time, and I think this was on uh, Skeptical, which is a, a consciousness show. He's on this show, and he's he's really angry. He says, "I'm writing a book." He said, "This is terrible. I, I I'm really upset about this." He said that, and he calls I think the natural uh, evolution theory, which is should be called the Powerball theory of evolution. But he's saying, <laughs> you know, it's it's taught in school, and they say that you can you can teach this in school and still still say there's a god. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot, and I'm going to change it. And I'm, I'm upset about this. There's only 16% of, I think he said 17, it's down to 15 now. He, they're teaching it in schools that there is no God, that uh, it's all a random uh, accident that occurred at the Big Bang, and they're teaching this in school, and, and Victor Stanger is all upset. He's going to write this book because only 17% of the general public believes this theory about the fact that there's no God involved in the Big Bang. And he said, this has got to change. We have to introduce the fact that there's no God when we're teaching evolution. And and I'm thinking to myself, when I heard this like 16% or whatever, I'm thinking, holy cow, 16%? And they're, they're brainwashing the kids with this stuff. I said, we're at like 48%. And people <laughs> believe in UFOs. We're doing three times as good and we don't have to get, and we don't even get to teach it in school. So, I mean, we think nothing's getting disclosed and actually we're, we're doing not too bad. <laughs> 
So I've got, uh, oh man, I've still got so many questions here. Um, <laughs> one of them is kind of a personal one. Like now that you're on this path, it's a different yeah. path. Obviously, have you changed your anything personally, like spiritually, anything like that in your practice? I mean, there's all these synchronicities happen, but um, it's, well, my, it's obviously my whole, affected my whole attitude. But I, I already, um, I was raised raised in a very religious family, very fundamentalist. I was raised Lutheran, but I used to preach in when I was a little kid, and and so I I was sort of really being pushed. I was going to be the the sort of the big minister type thing. So I had a real sort of backing in uh, um, religion, but I had an experience where I got into Edgar Casey very young, 16, 17 years old, before I got into UFOs. I really didn't have any interest in UFOs when I when I started, but I did have this interest in uh, weird uh, spirituality thing. I realized that the sort of the interpretation I was being given about, you know, heaven and hell and stuff, I, I knew there was something wrong with this, that I, I had been experienced, you know, reincarnation through Edgar Casey, and I was fascinated in this kind of stuff. And when I was at university, uh, I had a minor in religion, and the thing I did for my, I, of course, took death and dying, I was fascinated with this course, and I went to the, to the um, uh, hospital, and I would ask all these questions. My my paper was to ask questions like uh, I went to all the chaplains instead of going to the doctors and the nurses because I realized they had a vested interest. You go to the chaplain, who's guy who's there at the very end, knows there's no BS going on anymore. I mean, there's nobody's making up stories. It's just basically what happens when you die. And so I was talking to all these different chaplains, and it'd be the Roman Catholic nun and the you know the the, the Salvation Army guy and the Lutheran guy and stuff, and they all were basically telling the same stories. And I was asking. All these weird questions like, does anybody ever uh, see anybody come to them when they're dying? Does there, you ever have the near-death experiences that had started back in the 70s? It was sort of being made public then. And I said, have you ever had anybody who actually had a miracle where, you know, they're about to die and suddenly they, they get cured and they get up and walk out of the hospital? And and then the one that, that really fascinated me, I said, you ever have anybody who actually predicted they were going to die? Because Edgar Casey had predicted when he was going to die two days before. He said he was going to die in two days. So I said, has anybody ever predicted they're going to die? And I actually had the one where the guy said, yeah. I said, yeah. In fact, that did happen to me, he said. You know, I had the guy in the hospital, and and uh, the, the, his wife was visiting him nine o'clock in the morning, and he had cancer. So he, you have that one good day where you go up, and then suddenly you go back down again. So he had the one good day, and his wife was talking to him. She says, "I'm going shopping," and off she goes. And this is before cell phones and all that kind of stuff. So she takes off, and she said the, the chaplain was called because n not one minute after she'd walked out of the hospital, the guy said, "You you you got to get my wife back. I'm going to die." And, they, and then the nurse immediately said, let's get the chaplain. They call the chaplain. The chaplain comes in. He says, what do you mean you know you're going to die? And the guy said, you got to get my wife back. I, I'm going to die. I'm, today's the day. And then the guy said, well, hang on. We're, we've got to find her. We, we're, she just left the hospital. We're trying to like, contact her. But let me, let me ask you, how do you know you're going to die? And the guy said, I don't know. He says, I just know I'm going to die. Today's the day I'm going to die. And he said, well, would you feel something? He says, well, not really. It's kind of a weird feeling in my in my legs and kind of a feel weird feeling in my stomach. But I just know I'm going to die. And so the guy said, "Well, hang on. We're we're trying to find her. You just you know hang in there, whatever." And uh, they didn't find the wife till in the afternoon. She got to the hospital at three thirty in the afternoon. The guy was dead at four thirty in the afternoon. So before I got into the UFOs, before I already had this weird sort of idea that the world was much more spiritual and much weirder than what I was being taught as, as a child. So with this kind of stuff recently, what I did sort of discover is it doesn't make your life really that much happier. That's the kind of strange thing that I found is that if you find 
the people who are really into the UFO thing, you have lots of, uh, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but you have lots of interactions with uh, people who are close to you who you come across as being like you're obsessed with this thing because everybody has this mission, eh? And I, I believe I have a mission too, whether I was abducted or whatever. But I, I think I have a mission that I didn't really see my UFOs in 1975 by accident that, that it triggered something in me. The rest of my friends went on with their, their, their life and I sort of fell off the edge of the earth. And I've just been obsessed with this ever since. And people who are into this, who are abductees and people, uh, it makes their life very miserable. That, that you think that it's... Uh, it sort of makes you more spiritual, but it doesn't make you much happier because you, uh, the people around you really don't understand. And I don't know why God or the aliens or whoever's running the show doesn't get people in line because it does really put you in conflict with people around you who are really think you uh, are better than they are or that you're talking down to them. And you're just trying to explain why you think this is uh, a spiritual world and why this is important to know about. And people are looking at you like, uh, and you'll find a lot of divorces. You'll find a lot of people who really are having trouble in their marriage when they really get into this kind of stuff. Because the other side of their family uh, doesn't really understand. My son has no interest in this whatsoever. And you find that, that uh, you're sort of in a, in a sh ship by yourself and you're sort of paddling down the, the the river by yourself. So I found it doesn't really make you much happier. In fact, probably less happy, but you're more spiritual, whatever that goes for. That, uh, that makes sense with nuts and bolts UFOs even. Then you can take it to the next level with, uh, you know, where you're going, right? With consciousness and sort of having to delve into abductions and contactees and yeah. channeling. So have you been getting flack from the UFO field? Or like you must have known this was kind of a risky road to take too. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you what happened because I, uh, Jerry Pippen is a good friend of mine and who's you know, had some health problems now and it really is not doing a show lately. But um Jerry, uh, when when I first got into this, he did one of the first shows that I did on consciousness. And he said to me, he said, well, you know, I, I just can't believe it. He said, you know, like, you're always a nuts and bolts guy, the presidential guy doing the documents and stuff. And, you know, I, I, I find it weird that you've gone over to the woo-woo side. And I <laughs> said, and I said, well, Jerry, you know, I, I really didn't have any I didn't have any choice. I was teleported. It was like an abduction experience. It's like it's not something that you really decide right. that you're going to do. It's like it happens to you and suddenly you realize this is for real. This is the way it works. And you are just you sort of become obsessed with it. 
So I've moved over and I've sort of gotten respect because I've always been seen as the sort of the presidential guy, the historical guy, you know, writing this stuff, yeah. sort of stuff. So it's almost worked to an advantage for yeah. consciousness people. Doing you all did, your doing all your footwork and nuts yeah. and bolts work before yeah. has got yeah. you a bit of tenure yeah. almost. Yeah, where a lot of people will listen to me about this when they won't listen to the people who've been talking consciousness for years. Yeah. And that's what I sort of discovered when I did the conscious lex- lecture at at uh, Phoenix. And it got if you were there, you knew it got a oh, pretty yeah. good reception. Yeah. That when when I I thought, oh, you know, I've I've saw uh, you know, I've uh, you know figured out the, uh, the unified field theory, and I you know I've got it all figured out here, you know, and I've, I've figured this all out. And then I went, I was doing my book table, and all these women were coming up to me giving their books on consciousness. And if you see the the one that won the award for the best long film, there was this uh, what was it called? Um, Chicks seem to just love that shit. Oh yeah, and and but this the top film was unconsciousness, the the one that won the award. Uh, the award or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. T- Tanya had done it, and she came and gave me her award, and I'm thinking like, man, th- not only have I not figured this out before anybody else, I've been asleep for 35 years. <laughs> All these other women, they figured this out, and it's just that nobody listens to them because they're weird consciousness, yeah. you know, hippie uh, chicks, chicks uh, psychics, and, and everybody goes like, whoa, you know, but when when I say it, then they go like, wow, well, maybe yeah, my wife will you. love that you just said that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm lucky I, in the way that I've got a wife that she's on board with all the all the same sort of things. Sure, I, I, I have always, noticed a little. Like I know I get it from a few of my friends, but on the other hand, I've been pleasantly surprised with a few. You know what I mean? Like I, I got a text just the other day from a buddy that I, I never would expect it, and he's like, "Oh, I listen to your show, you know, and now I listen to a bunch of them, and I just love it." And you know, uh, I I never would have known known that. Yeah. Talking I, I think, to the guy, like, you know, it never would have sure. come up between us that both sure. of us had the same interest that we, wow. we don't talk about. You know but, what but I mean? Guys, guys are still in the nuts and bolts. So I always tell the story and some, some people actually get offended. I don't want to get offended, but I always tell the story about there's a difference between men and women in the UFO field and in, in general that men, uh, and I always tell the story cause I used to go to the, I used to lecture at the UFO crash retrieval conferences that were put on by Ryan and Bob Wood. And it was just crashes. That's all it was. And you'd go into the room and there'd be like, a, and I would tell the story. There'd be a, 150 people in the room and there'd be three women. There'd yeah, be Linda, yeah. Linda Howe and two other women who couldn't get a car to go shopping. And and some women got <laughs> offended by that. And I said, it's true. I mean, you don't. But then if you go to the contactee um, the, the contactee thing, if you go to the, the Phoenix session and now they have them twice a day, the, the experiencer meeting at eight o'clock in the morning and at eight o'clock at night. And you go in there and it's like you can't get in. And, and when you lecture, the last lecture you want is the first lecture in the morning because most people have been up halfway through their night and they're drinking and they, and they figure, ah, oh, the first one in the morning, I'm, I'm sleeping in. And they don't come to the first lecture. But the I, contact I missed, thing, I miss it, every morning at the last conference I went yeah, to. <laughs> yeah. But, but, the, but if you go to the, con- the consciousness or the, the experience your thing, it's almost all women. You can't get in the room. It's like a blue light special at the Walmart. And it's like they're fighting to get in there. And, and yet it's so the women are into the they're into the the crystals and the healing and the the abduction stuff because it's into the it's into the the feeling and the consciousness and all this sort of stuff so women have been onto this it's men who are holding it back and that's basically what's working in science is that if women had been running the show 
we we'd have this thing figured out already. Oh, uh, man- you're you're killing me here. <laughs> well, you're it's killing true, me then- here. My wife's a certified crystal <laughs> healer. Like I am never gonna hear the fucking end of this. <laughs> well, that's exactly how it works. That women ha- are they've realized this kind of stuff, and that's the thing. If you go to the experiencer thing at, at the thing, it's almost all women, and they're 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 big time into this kind of stuff. And the men are they they're holding back. They still want the the technology and and how does it work and how do they get here and all this kind of stuff. And women really couldn't care less. So I, I, I talk about this, but it's it's weird how when you when you give those examples, some people get offended, like you're picking on women or men. And I'm just saying, no, there's there's a difference. I mean, it's women or men are are wired differently, especially when it comes to this this consciousness thing. I was just floored when all these women coming and they're giving me their books and they're crying. I couldn't believe it. They're just like, wow. I mean, I had two of them. They were crying when they came to talk to me and giving me this book. And I'm like, this is a weird world, you wow. know? Like I. And uh, to me, it was just like something I discovered and I thought it was neat. I should tell people this sort of yeah. enlightenment thing that happened to me. And, and everybody, all these women had it figured out already, but nobody listens to them. They, I mean, there's a lot of books on consciousness and, and how this thing all fits together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, but, and then and one of the things that I try to do is make it sound more scientific. Because if you read a lot of the consciousness books, even me, I, I can't even read them. It's like reading a religious book. It's like, yeah. it's so, you know philosophical and they're making language and they're all this kind of stuff that it, to me it's got to have some example like i guess almost if you could convince the men that this is for real then we make a move yeah but yeah. you you got to talk uh, quantum physics you got to talk nuts and bolts you got to explain how nothing is physical and then everybody goes like oh this is for real and i'm even and you talk to people I, I told my girlfriend this thing about this the, the fact that, that, that everything was illusion, that you're looking at electromagnetic fields. And she said, you know, UFO people, you know, I, I don't, they're, they're very gullible, you know. And I go, no, this is for real. I mean, everything is not physical. You're talking electromagnetic fields. It's all space. And she's saying, you're talking down to me. And I'm going, yeah. I'm not talking down to you. <laughs> But that's the way it works is that you, you sort of realize that people are where they are, that, that, that everybody's at a different level and you can't, it's, it's, you sometimes come across like a, like a, like a Mormon or a Jehovah witness that you're trying to recruit people. And I've, I've sort of tried to stop doing that and just put my articles out. That's where I had this thing about the alien bedtime story book is, okay, I'm going to put all these weird stories out and they're just little stories and they're really, really weird people predicting things or, uh, you know, trees burning, like the burning bush and stuff like that. Really weird sort of stories that people are going to go, that's kind of weird. And indirectly, you're convincing them that there's something to it instead of trying to recruit them and, and get the whole thing across to them. Because people aren't, some people just aren't ready, but they're willing to sort of read a weird little book that has little weird stories in it. That's the other great thing about the internet is it doesn't really matter what the fuck you're into, you'll find a niche. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people can come together and form communities that <laughs> that like uh, even like you said you started your research in the 70s. Like how much easier has your job gotten and or not not easier I guess but oh, more yeah. more influential. Not in, even influential but more um more efficient. With the, the with the advent the, of the internet, the the internet is the end of the military. That the the military invented because you see I wrote the article. Yeah, it was called the ARPANET, ARPANET and yeah. and it was is in in built to control a situation where you have computers all over the place that the Russians couldn't drop a bomb on your main computer. That the 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 information wasn't really anywhere. So you'd have all these computers all over the place that were linked together, and that development 
by the military is what's going to put the military out of business. They just put themselves out of business by doing that because what this is is like the Akashic Records that the, as the Internet develops, you can discover anything you want, that all the information in the universe is in there and you just got to figure out how to get it. You got to figure out how to link in there and they can't control it. They're, they're trying to control the Internet, but they can't. It's, it's, uh, and, and the CIA actually said that. The, uh, one, if you look at the book that I wrote, this UFOs, Area 51, Government Informants, I talk a lot about this guy who used, to, until about a year ago, ran the, the files at the CIA, this Ronald Pendolfi guy. And he talked in 1991, a very significant thing that he said that I believe fits into this whole thing. He said to Dan Smith, who's the guy he leaks all his stuff through, he said to Dan Smith, he said, we have a phenomenology problem. And that because we cannot control the phenomena, we watch the people who are affected by the phenomena. And that's what it all comes down to, is that UFOs, uh, remote viewing, predicting the future, telekinesis, ghosts. Cryptozoology. Uh, all that stuff. All of it. There's one underlying thing that if you figure out what it is, the phenomena that's underlying this, which I say is consciousness or whatever this, con this thing is, if you understand that one thing, you can suddenly have alien technology. You can explain how remote viewing works. You can explain how people can predict the future, how they can go back. They can run around with their minds and spy on people and stuff like that. It's, it's a phenomena, and that's what the CIA realized from the word go. And that's when you got into MKUltra. MKUltra wasn't so much the brainwashing thing. It was when you got into drugs is they realized that LSD could open the door. And that's what it comes down to is they realized that there was more to the mind than just this brain. And they got into trouble with the guy jumping out of the building with the LSD. LSD and then it got exposed and had to shut it down. But it's it's whether you use uh, meditation, whether you use drugs, whether you use aliens, whatever it is, the the this the intelligence agencies realized that you could move through a door and you could get into this non-local thing that that controls all these phenomena and that it's so powerful that if you can control it, and that's what they've been trying to do. So because they can't control UFOs, they can't control remote viewing, they can't control all this sort of stuff. They sort of watch the people who are psychics, they watch the people who are abducted, and they try to see what are those people doing and learn from those people because they can't really control the phenomena. So what are your, what are your thoughts on, uh, like, what are your thoughts on, like, altered states of consciousness through meditation, through hallucinogens? Yeah. I think it's all the same thing. It's it's basically a different way. It's it whether you travel to it's like try going to Phoenix. Some people take trains, some people take planes, some people you know can you know take a, a car, whatever. It's just different ways to get there. And it's it, so if you use this kind of stuff when you get there, is to try to figure out what's going on when you when you get there. And that's what uh, I think is coming down is that if you look at uh, LSD instead of looking at it as a, this terrible drug and you start to realize that it's opening this sort of thing and that all these sort of drugs, if you take a look at how they're built chemically, uh, mag magic mushrooms or this DMT, I don't know if you've done the DMT experiments, where this is this uh, thing that was in this uh, thing that the Indians used, these DMT experiments where they were injecting people with DMT, which is almost the same structure as LSD and magic mushrooms. Yeah, and it's, it's, not, yeah it's not even far off of psilocybin. Yeah, and it, it basically opens it up. It opens up to this, this, this door to this world that everybody's trying to get into, this whole thing where 
time and space doesn't exist where you can sort of you've got the out of body experience you're you're separate from your body and that's the, what this whole thing is is to get into that world and that's what we're realizing through the aliens and the consciousness people that that when they first interviewed in this skeptical show when they first interviewed me they actually had to introduce me as saying don't turn it off I know the guy's UFOs but he's going to make the consciousness connection and they're into this sort of consciousness and now the guy that runs skeptical is moved into the UFO thing and he yep. realizes that it's just another way of doing what they're doing and they were into the near-death experience and the psychics and the channelers and the people who were talking to the yep. dead and all this kind of stuff and they realized the UFO is just another aspect that, that's after this same aspect of there's something there that once we understand it we'll be able to start to explain what this is all about and I think we're getting close so do you so do you think that's something that can be taught or is that something that has to be achieved like um through experience. meditation or spirituality, like to fly, even to fly a UFO, is that something like no one could teach another person how to fly a UFO? You'd have to just like, it's a, you, like the vehicle, the UFO itself could almost be seen as an amplifier of your consciousness or some sort of yeah. something like that. Yeah, well, they are teaching. I mean, you, you see this thing where uh, in the Milab pro programs, they're teaching people to levitate uh, with the with the alien thing. They, they're allowing them. And there's this story that, David Jacobs talks about, he talks about these games. If you take a look at kids who are abducted and they're put them together with the hybrid kids on the ships and our kids are, they got rag dolls and they're trying to teach the hybrid kids how to, you know, play with a rag doll and the alien kids are looking at them like, you're crazy. Like, and they've got these games where they've got a, a little panel board and they're making the lights light up. Like make the lights light up on this panel board and they're just holding this panel board and the other game they they play. And this woman that I first met in Phoenix talked about this is when these kids are, are kids, and and there was a guy by the name of uh, Ken uh, who was there who described the same thing to me, uh, that he was involved as a child on the ship, and they're being taught to levitate these balls, three different colors of balls. One is easy to levitate, one is a little bit harder, and one is very hard. That the alien kids are teaching our kids how to levitate these balls. So they're teaching this levitation thing. So it is something that that, that, that is, is teachable. And the drug thing is just like a—it's a fast way to get there. So, so that. So if I eat enough mushrooms, I could fly a flying saucer. I like. Yeah, that. You, you could. Yeah, you could. You could. Or you could figure the the idea of of the the separation of consciousness, which was basically what it is, is that once you can get the consciousness out of the, you can move yourself from your body and move your consciousness outside of your body with a vivid dream or with this sort of out-of-body experience or whatever, that's when you realize that everything is possible. And that's what Ben Rich had said in this lecture, which I didn't even realize until long after I'd been lecturing about him talking about the fact that ESP was involved. He also makes the statement, he said, anything you can imagine, we can already do. And, and but, but then it didn't make any sense. But after you, hear, you go through the whole consciousness thing, you're going like, Man, was he actually saying this for real? That they've under they understand it to that degree that whatever you can imagine, you can actually do. And that goes back to the biblical thing where Jesus says the 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 thing about the the parable of the of the uh, the mustard seed. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, "Move," and it will move. And he's talking about faith. So you get these sort of cross cultural things that indicate that there's this sort of thing. But it has to has to do with this separating yourself from your physical body. That the physical body is what's slowing everything down, 
and that once you can break free of that sort of low frequency and get to this higher frequency, then you can do it. But the problem that always is with, with even the guys that were in the remote viewing program who are doing this, who could do the out-of-body stuff, they always had the problem that once they got into the out-of-body state and they couldn't do it all the time, they would get so excited that they would instantly go back into their body again. So it's not something that we can, I don't think we can really control, but the aliens can control it. And that's what I tell the consciousness guys when, when they're disputing all this kind of stuff. I'm saying if you look at it, the aliens have got this mastered. And if you watch it, what they're doing, and you start to study what they're doing, you can maybe learn how they do this. Because that's what they're basically doing is that they are separating people's bodies from their, from their, from this sort of non-physical aspect and they understand how it works and that's the only difference between us and aliens and i say the prime example of that is in all of ufology and you probably know this sort of thing the argument the skeptic argument is no two ufos are the same they all look different all the aliens look different this is absolute nonsense there's absolutely nothing that's uniform in this whole thing there is there's one unifying thing between all ufo experiences when aliens are involved aliens are all 100% all telepathic. We are not. They understand how telepathy, ESP, consciousness, whatever that non-local element is, they understand how it works. That's the only difference between us and them. They're much more advanced. They understand this concept. And that's why they can do stuff that people will say, oh, it's interdimensional. It's, it's not interdimensional. It, they may have some sort of interdimensional type thing, but it's basically physical and moving out of the physical because... It's like put it, a guy in the Canadian the guy that ran the Canadian government program used to talk about this. If you get a guy on stage and he makes an elephant disappear, does that mean the elephant has disappeared? No, it just means you don't understand what he's doing. It's the same thing with aliens. Because they, 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 they appear and suddenly they disappear, that doesn't mean they're interdimensional. It means they, maybe they just turned the lights off. Maybe they just bent the light, which is an experiment that, that the Canadian government talked about. The guy that ran the program, he tells this story about being a ship lands and there's this voice coming out of it which is a metallic British accent in it and this thing says pick up a rock and the flying saucer sitting there and he said and the flying saucer disappears and they and, they, and then the voice comes out and he says throw the rock he throws the rock and ding it hits the side of the flying saucer and that was to give him the impression that they're able to bend the light around the saucer like like and as they described it like a pebble in a stream and that's how it worked. And then, strangely, the other night I'm listening to a, a lecture by by um, uh, uh, Bud Hopkins when he was still alive. He's talking about this this incident uh, at a SAC base, and I think it was Omaha SAC base in the 1965, where a UFO. They have two B-52 bombers loaded with nuclear weapons, and this flying saucer appears a couple of feet off the ground between these two uh, two nuclear weapons. It's the middle of the night three o'clock in the morning or whatever and these guys start shooting at with their arms and they're using tracer bullets and you talk about how these things all fit together they're using tracer bullets so they can see what's going on and the, the bullets go around the craft and this is from a story completely unrelated you go toward the thing and they can see the tracer bullets going around the craft exactly the way smith described them bending lights that they could create this thing so what we're looking at and that's the whole thing is is looking at aliens what are they doing? What can we learn from what they're doing? You know, look very closely at what they're doing. Because what I say it comes down to 
is 66 years we've been working at, as of June, 66 years we've been working on this flying saucer thing. We've gotten absolutely nowhere, bumping our head up against the wall. Everybody's saying we don't know what it is, whatever. And the problem is that we've been looking at the sightings. And the sightings is not where you're supposed to look because you can track them as much as you want. Yeah. You could take a thousand Phoenix Lights witnesses, describe the Phoenix Lights things coming over, and you come to the end, you say, what is it? It's unknown. It's not until you get inside the craft or you talk to somebody who's been inside the craft that you can find out who's inside it. Is it extraterrestrial? Where are they from? That's what you need to do. you got to talk to the contactees, the experiencers, the abductees. Those are the people that will provide the answer. You cannot learn anything. It, it, Jim Dalatoso, who used to be the guy who, who did all the, um, he was the top expert in the world on photographic evidence. And he had this big lab and classified lab in Phoenix and he'd analyze UFO photographs and stuff. And he gave up. He said, I'm, I'm going to deal with the contactees. Yeah. And he described it as being in the top of a skyscraper. And this is exactly the way it works. You're on top of a skyscraper. You're looking down and you see like, like uh, silver objects, red objects. They're moving fast. They're moving slow. There's big ones, small ones. And we, we've, for 66 years, we've been Cadillac. There's so many big ones. There's so many green ones. There's so many red ones. They move fast. They move slow. They sit at this <laughs> angle or whatever. And, and in the end, we don't know what it is. It's not until you take the elevator down the, uh, the, the, to, the, to the ground floor and you run out like Travis Walton did in front of one of them and wave at them and get them to pick you up. Are you going to find out what's actually going on? You, you've got to deal with the people who are inside the craft. And that's why I say the, the consciousness and, the, and that's what's coming from the, the contactee people. That's the important part. You've got to deal with that. Or, and if you've got a fast way of, of uh, and DMT, if I could figure out where you could legally get this. That so much fascinated me, the DMT, when I read the books on this. Yeah. I mean, how, how I thought, like, man, I'd like to try this. Because it's, like it's like a shortcut method yeah. to get there. Because I haven't really had these sort of psychic experiences or out-of-body experiences. And I've had lots of UFO experiences. I'd say, you know, I trade all my UFO experiences that I've ever had for have, one out-of-body experience. Have you ever partook? No, no, he's no. Darren. I'll hook you up with some DMT. <laughs> no, actually, myself, I I plan to try it. I definitely do. I actually I had the opportunity a while back and I passed up just because I don't that, think I'm ready yet. Like I just came out of being in yeah. not too long ago. I used to like abuse things like alcohol okay. and stuff, and I've just straightened out in the last five years or so. And oh, I just uh, I don't think my consciousness is in the right spot for me to yeah. to to get that kind of a fucking beating yet. <laughs> Yeah, but it, like I mean, like things like pot and mushrooms. I I mean, I think those are are just like a lower level of, of the yeah. same thing. Like yeah. used responsibly, they they're they're mind expanding. At least for myself, anyway. Yeah, that that's where it comes down to is you have these lower levels. DMT seems to be the one the one that's injected, not the, the you have Pow. the other type stuff. It, yeah. It's where they have like uh, you know the guy was doing the experiment. It was so many you know. Uh, for your body weight and he was in getting what, what level, cause there was a level where you'd sort of get sick. There was a yeah, level yeah. where you'd sort of have sort of an indirect experience. And then there was a level where they were injecting where you got the experience where, where there was actually the separation Yeah, where and these people would have these entities and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah and you'd have yeah. this oneness experience, the oneness yeah. with the universe, which is, yeah. which is this key experience that apparently once you've had this, it just sort of blows you away yeah. that you suddenly, you're never the same again. Yeah. 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 So that that's where I because I've had these I've had a lot of inspirational experiences where I had like in Phoenix and I've had other ones where where I work at something work at something and all of a sudden I get to sort of a rush in my mind where everything fits together instantly like I'll, I'll do a lot of traveling where I'll travel through the states where I'll travel for for 
15 or 20 hours in one day and I, I load UFO shows. So I'm listening time and time again and all of a sudden I'll get this rush where I'll actually have to stop the car or I'll have to write while I'm, while I'm going along where suddenly everything makes sense on a certain subject and it all sort of pops in. And it's like you do all the work, do all the work. But the DMT thing is sort of like a shortcut. It's like, wow, when I read this book, I go like, wow, these, these guys have figured the, the, the fastest way to get there. And yet, yet I guess it be, became illegal or whatever. I mean, or to get some a- area where you actually have a, a, a guy who's like a doctor like who's a actually shaman, a shaman. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I, you know, the Indians have the one, but they always have this warning about the fact that you get violently sick and you're throwing up and going like, I don't know. I don't really know if I would. Yeah, I don't know if I really want to do that, you know, because I had that opportunity down in Phoenix. They they have a there's a, a way there, and I'm thinking, nah, I don't, I don't. I mean, I'm not that desperate to do it. You know? <laughs> so I've got one for you here that I'm going to bounce off of you. It might be a little too fucked, but um, what what do you think about like if consciousness is what it's all about, and like I, I look at it as human consciousness is kind of an evolving thing over the last hundred thousand. Hundred thousand years to to if if we came from apes, if that turns out to be the case, we've evolved. Our consciousness has evolved from that somehow. Um, so is it possible, like Earth? Earth is almost like a, a hatching ground for consciousness. Like life develops from from everything, from you know, like embryos or whatever, and then we all came out of the ocean and shit, and then and then we turn into apes or whatever, and then we we start to develop consciousness through mushrooms or whatever, however that happened. And then we develop civilization and community and we learn about love and, and helping one each other. We build civil civilization and then sooner or later we develop technology and, and the UFOs are just like almost like the doctors in the infirmary at the hospital looking over the babies. Um, I actually see it exactly the opposite. Uh, my impression is it comes down to this thing about the the idea that consciousness goes down to the particle level that you can prove that you know uh, an, an electron is conscious of you doing something to its buddy, um, and it comes down to uh, you take the rat brain experiment, which really shows uh, because you say okay, there's evolution that it gets we're more advanced and you get more advanced, and then you take these like a rat brain, twenty five thousand neurons that should die that have that are able to absolutely adapt within 10 days to do something as advanced as anything that humans can do. And if you look at uh, any sort of element in, in the universe, and the things that really fascinate me are, and I, I'm going to talk about it in my next consciousness lecture, is we, we sort of assume that we're at the top of the pyramid, and these other things are at the bottom of the pyramid, and then you look at things like a termite mind. I don't know if you ever are uh, a termite hill. And Australia, they build them, and they're exactly east or east and west, so that the sun comes up and it heats the one side, and they're built really, really steep, and just this unbelievable technology are the ones that are built by termites in in Africa, where they have this underground air conditioning system, and every termite is knows exactly what they're doing and termites are totally blind and they're able to they've they've actually done experiments where they build a wall structure and the termites will build this wall structure going up one side and the other side and when they get to the top they line up exactly where they would line up if the metal plate wasn't there and you you take a look and you say where's the little termite with the magnetic compass that's lining up the 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 mound in the right direction 
how do they know how to do this? This is more complex. In fact, in Australia, they're building buildings based upon how these termites have built this mound. That you take a look at this complexity of 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 the beehive, which I, I got to know a couple of years ago, a guy who worked with bees, and he started to explain how complex the bee thing is and how it works and how they all know what to do. And they all basically uh, are, there's, there's this, uh, overriding intelligence that's running this whole thing, yeah. or the or the monarch butterfly is the most amazing story. And and Sheldrake, if the if people don't believe this, Sheldrake is the guy to read because he talks about this this thing how there's this this intelligence all through the universe at every level, very direct intelligence. The monarch butterfly is the most amazing story there is because the whole theory of evolution about the genetic, you know, you pass the genes on to your your offspring and they get smarter and they get smarter. You take a look at the monarch butterfly. The monarch butterfly is in Canada, Calgary, Winnipeg, and it flies south. The one that flies south to this couple square mile area in Mexico has never been there. It is the third generation. It will fly there. It's never been there. It knows how to move. And you can actually take the monarch butterfly at the last minute. They all leave on the same day. They leave on the solstice. You can take them. You can move them to Washington, D.C. a couple days before they're supposed to go. It will be a little disoriented the first day, but it will make the turn and it will find its way to, to Mexico, even though you've moved it to a different part of the country. So and it's that, almost like consciousness starts at an atomic level. Exactly. And the fucking more of it you put together, the least least useful it gets. Yeah, and at, at any level, you can find these unbelievable things that are totally inexplainable and how the consciousness, how they can figure this thing out. Like the monarch butterfly, the, the first gen, the generation that is in Canada that goes to Mexico lives for about nine months. The second generation that comes out of Mexico, the one that, 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 that it comes, it lives in Mexico, it hibernates there in this thing, and then it flies to, to Texas, the Texas area, and that's when it dies. It has uh, its babies, the, 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 the next generation, and it only lives, it goes up to North Dakota, the southern United States. It dies. It only lives for about two months. So how does evolution teach one generation? Mm. Every, every third generation lives for nine months. And that's the generation that comes here and flies to Mexico and never been there. So you have uh, uh, this evolutionary type of intelligence that is training the first generation to live nine months. The second generation lives six weeks. The third generation lives like, you know, whatever period of time. But it's three different lifespans in one year. And that is built into the, the whole system. The same as when... when uh, the, Almost like a program. Yeah, and it's like this whole idea that this morphogenetic fields, the main experiment that they did for, that proved this morphogenetic field thing was the story about the rats at Harvard University. In 1910, they do this experiment. They're doing the genetic thing about that memories transferred through the genes. And so they got the rats and they got this breed of rat and they run, I think, 15 or 22 generations over 15 years and they train these rats to get them in under, underwater mazes and there's, there's, they're, they're, they have to find the food. And the one uh, exit is lit up. The other one is is dark. And if they go up the dark one, then they get the food. If they go up the the the, the other one, they'll they'll get shocked. And these things start off with like 200 mistakes every time they do it. They keep going up the the lit one, and they keep getting. And as they go through the generations, the number of of mistakes start to decrease. So of course the idea is well, the the 
intelligence is genetically passed from one generation to another. And they, after 15 years, they go from 200 mistakes down to about 50 mistakes. So then somebody wants to reproduce the experiment in Scotland years oh, later. Yeah, yeah. And, and Scotland and Australia, but they don't use the same breed of rat. They use a rat, but it's not related to the rats in at Harvard University. And all they're doing is reproducing the experiment. And the one rat in Australia gets through with no mistakes. It's actually better. These rats run faster. They do the experiment with less mistakes than the rats at Harvard. So then the idea came, it's not genetic. They're learning. There's, it's all this information is going up into a field, and the rats in 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 uh, Scotland have learned what the rats at Harvard learned uh, 75 years before, and they're able to take that. And that's where this idea of morphogenetic fields, and that's where you get like like a a, a termite uh, mound or a, a beehive or uh, an ant colony where everybody knows what they're doing. They're they're born, and you have certain breed certain types of uh uh like a say a warrior or the the queen or the 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 bee that goes out and collects the they all know what they're supposed to do and they've never been trained it's it's like they're building into this field and that's the scary part when i wrote i don't know if you wrote read the, yeah that's like what we call instinct well that's the thing that's what i say is, is what what science does is they say oh that's just instinct that is called it's called explaining one unknown with another. That's like placebo. Like medical, uh, you know, people who are able to heal people, they say, oh, it's just placebo. Well, to hell. What, what the hell are you talking about, placebo? Explain it. You can't just call it, call it a name and make it go away. That, that you're explaining how this thing is, is working. There's something behind this. So when you take a look at these, these uh, insect colonies or you take a look at the, the um, aliens work exactly the same way. And that's kind of scary. I wrote an article called The Alien Hive. And if you take a look at the aliens, the aliens work exactly the same way as a beehive. They work the same way as a, as a termite uh, colony. They work the same way as, a, as an ant colony where they all know exactly what to do. And they're all working for the one. They, they will say they're working for this one uh, thing. Nobody's in charge. Everybody knows what to do. And the, it's, like, it's almost exactly like a, like a beehive where everybody's got their little job. They're working all the time. There's nobody on holidays. Nobody's having fun. Nobody's wearing designer jeans. Clothes aren't important. It's almost exactly. And so I Is, say, isn't you know, that kind of what humans are doing too, though, in a way? Like nobody's really in charge. We're just all kind of stumbling through this together. But, but, but humans are all ego. If you take a look at the at the aliens, there is no ego. That's the main difference between us and aliens is there's no ego. If you take a look at us, it's about, uh, you know, uh, are, are we safe? Uh, we we, we want to take holidays. Can you can you lose the ego without losing the the other special things that emotion well, can bring? Well, that's that's what that's the scary part is if we get disclosure, which everybody wants. Are we going to become like the aliens? Are we going to lose the ego? And nobody's going to go shopping anymore. Women aren't going to go shop because clothes aren't important. If you look at aliens, they don't wear clothes. Or if they wear clothes, they all wear exactly the same clothes. Yeah, I, I wasn't talking so much about like clothes, but more like, you know, the love that two, me and my wife can feel for each other. The love that you feel for your daughter, yeah. like is losing yeah. your ego. Like, <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that part of the deal? You lose sure. all that too? Because you hear that these aliens or these grades are always kind of emotionless, emotionless at the same yeah. time. But, but they do have the, the, if you talk to the contactees, they'll talk about the, one, the oneness and the love, the unconditional love. Yeah, it's that, at a different that, level. It's at a higher level. 
once they once they get to know them and they 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 have they interact with them the 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 aliens are giving off this oneness the love that we're all part of the one thing and that's that oneness the thing that would describe them closest is a hutterite colony i don't know if you have them in alberta but that's what you have here yeah they have great chickens yeah, yeah, great chickens, and they all and they all wear basically the same clothes, and nobody owns anything. It's all owned by the colony. That's basically the way a, an alien situation uh, society seems to work: is that nobody owns anything. Everybody has a job. They do their job. There's nobody goofing around. There's nobody, uh, you know, doing their own thing. Uh, everybody's working for the one, for the for the universe, for God, for whatever the, the thing is. They're doing this noble work. They they basically are like little bees running around but uh, when i look at it i go like that doesn't look very exciting man i think i'd rather you know go to go to the football game you know have a couple of beers every once in a while yeah but even even like going to the football (laughs) game and and building we got a bunch of construction workers building an airport or or something like that you know what i mean and it's just like a bunch of humans who were never really taught how to do that fumbling their way through it and building building these great cities and and shit like that but here we still train people. We train our our evolution of, of our building and our, our abilities gradually yeah, evolved over down. the years. Passed Whereas down, if, you, yeah. if you took a look at uh, an insect colony, especially if you take a look at like this 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 thing, if, and if you look, uh, I encourage yeah, like you mayflies this, and shit that only live for a few hours. Yeah, or the the, the thing I I didn't press you. This one is the BBC did this one on termite uh, mounds in Africa. You look at that one, you see how complex this situation is the way they build this how do they learn they've got these tunnels these these columns that go up because it's it's like like you know almost freezing at night and it's like 110 fahrenheit during the day and they're able to have this air conditioning system and they're able to keep the the colony at 87 degrees fahrenheit at all times i mean how does a an a, a termite Learn to keep a colony in 115 degrees at 87 degrees at all times. If it goes more than two degrees on either way, hotter or colder, the whole colony dies. They're able to maintain this temperature. Where did they learn to do this from? This is the, this. It's this. They're tapping into this. The the universe is there. All the information is there. And because we're we're physical and because we got this conscious mind that's screwing everything up for us. And and it, the, some people say, and I believe this. That the conscious mind is like a reducer. That the if you take a look at what the the consciousness is like, it is so amazing you can't even imagine the extent of what consciousness can do and how big it is. That the mind is just a reducer mm. that allows. See, the us hippie to, chicks aren't going to like you anymore <laughs> for saying that one. But 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 it allows us to live in a world where we're able to 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 uh, love and. Well, not to love, but to to live in a physical world. Physical, yeah. That 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 the the mind is a restrictor that that cuts out all the real consciousness stuff, so you can live this physical life. And that's where the thing is: if you're if you do drugs or meditation or the alien thing, if it pops you out of that, you suddenly realize that there's more to than that's that just this physical thing. So the mind, uh, the conscious mind, just allows you to eat to survive, to, uh, you know, thrive, whatever, in this conscious world. But it's a very low-level world that we're in. And then once you get out of the, the conscious mind, then you realize that there's all these other levels. Or as Bud Hopkins describes, you figure out what the key is to open the door. You open the door and how big consciousness is. You open the door and you see another million doors. And now you got to develop all the, the techniques to get this thing. And you know, I don't know if you've dealt with 
uh, one thing I was really into for a number of years was the research done by Dr. Michael Newton, who did these uh, life between life regressions, where he would regress the person to their past life, let them die, and take them into the spirit world. And there was a very deep regression. It would take four hours to do this regression. Wow. And in there, he's talking about this 7,000 people that he did, and they basically talk about this, this stuff. And you'd look at how complex this world is, that the mind, the world is created by the mind, and that we, in parts of our life, when we're, when we're more advanced, you can actually make stuff with your mind. That the, that, that the creations, the different insects, are creations of people in the, the universe at high levels that are creating things. And he would talk about, oh, can you, can you make a, a mouse? Or something. He was asking this person on a regression. He said, "No, I can't do that. I'm not advanced, but I can make a rock." And that's the thing: is that the the mind is the builder. That that the mind builds. And if you take a look at consciousness, when you get into Edgar Mitchell and guys like that, you take a look, and that's what they're describing: is the mind is the builder. That the there is a mind, and that each of us is a part of this big mind. That we're all broken off like little uh, like spots. neurons working together yeah. to or run like a simulator. Little, little, little spots of, of light in a in a in a huge uh, sun of light we're just little spots and but the the more advanced you become along your your evolution spiritual evolution the more you can you, you can use your mind to as Jesus says move a mountain or you can do these incredible things or build worlds or or do these kind of things but you you have to be at that level whereas we're at this physical level so where would death fall into that? Well, death, death just moves you, if, if you're on this same path, it, if you're looking at this, this new idea about all, all lives are the same, there's no time and space, it's all here. And so you just move into a, a period where you're, you're not in a physical environment, and then you move back into the physical environment, but it's all still at the same time, that all your lives are together, and you can go to a future life and, and learn from your future life that it's all together. But death is it's just... like layers of a hard drive. Yeah, so it's not being, or like, as they say, being tuned into a... The, there's all the radio stations, and all you at in this lifetime, you're tuned into this one particular radio station. But all the radio stations, you can go to any radio station you want. It's it's all there. It's the same as being in a room, and all the all the, the you know TV signals and everything's going through. You just don't realize it's going through. That, or you're basically, not that means it's all just data. It's all information and some. That's, some that's one of the that's one of the big theories is the holographic universe that everything is information that everything is. Uh, uh, inf basically information, and it's it gets kind of screwed up when you start getting that gets into it. So fucking crazy to think about. Like, how do yeah. you wrap? How do you even wrap your head around that? Well, you got to keep watching the videos. That's what I do. Is you get into these <laughs> things where you watch another guy that talks about some of this stuff. Like, there's there's uh, Mitchell, and then there's this guy out of Harvard, this Rudy uh, Schild. He talks about it. There's a lot of these consciousness things where you get into the quantum quantum stuff where you got to watch it five or six times and you don't understand it. And, and what I do is I just download it like I did with all my UFO information. And then you're walking down the street one day and you go, oh, you know, it just pops into your head that you got to go through the work. And that's what I, some of the people describe this, that's how inventions work, that inventions are all there. Everything's invented. And that when you go through the work, then whoever's it. in control, then they say, okay, give it to them. And yeah. suddenly the invention pops into your head. But yeah. you have to go through all the work to get there. Yeah, and then it's the relaxation response. As soon as you let it go um, exactly. and relax and, and yeah. not worry about it, it'll come to you. Yeah, that's the, the, the thing about uh, the laser apparently was sitting on a park yeah. bench. Yeah. Or uh, Martin Luther started the whole L Lutheran religion was on the toilet when it happened. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, all these kind of things where yeah. it, it doesn't when you're not thinking about it. And that's what I... 
found as well that that's when it happens to me is when I'm traveling, where I've been traveling for like eight hours or nine hours, hour after hour, just sitting there listening to these things. And suddenly, boom, it's like you're sort of tune out or you you go into your DMT state or whatever. And suddenly you open the door and it comes in. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that's what it comes down to is this this thing that we're in this conscious, this conscious world and there's this all these other levels and it's how do you get into that level how do you how do you tap into it and i I'm, that's why i say ufos is so important that's why i say aliens and contactees are so important is because the aliens have figured it out and if you study them enough and you study these contacts and people who have interacted and crap fit up uh, cut all the crap because you in ufology one thing that really bothers me is these people that say we're open-minded skeptics and i say hey, bullshit you can't be a little bit pregnant you're either a skeptic <laughs> or you're a gullible or you're looking at the facts forget your religious interpretations forget your skepticism forget your gullibility just look at the facts keep your mind open and don't come in with any preconceived notions Yeah, that's one one place I think religion has really slowed down our development is getting stuck in these these thing, yeah. these areas that we were, not only do we fight each other over it, but yeah. but they 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 leave us stuck in this dogmatic place that we refuse to evolve from. Sure, or science. Science, science does it science too. Is yeah, science is just another religion. Because, because science, the the basic problem we have in science is in ufology. You hear it all the time. They say, "Well, it's not reproducible." You can't measure it. We've got to be able to measure it. You've got to use the scientific method. And I say, no, you don't. You, yeah, you use I agree the scientific 100%. principle. But if you can't measure it because it's not non-local, as long as you say you have to measure it and you've got to weigh it, it's got to be physical. It's not physical. Yeah. Every you, You're defining it by saying everything in the world is physical. The minute someone says the world is physical, you're wrong. End of story. Yeah, you, you, if you, I say if you download it in your mind and you download it and you, that's what I do. Like now, moving into the consciousness thing is I spend all my time listening to, if I hear, like I go through all the podcasts and if, if, if you've got an abductee on your show, you make sure you tell me because I listen to every abductee and I listen to them piles and piles of times. And I just, we encourage down- everyone to listen to the Grime America show. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I just download, 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 download all this stuff. And, and the inspiration comes and suddenly it all makes sense. It's something somebody said triggers what everybody else said. And that's how I say discovery works. Forget the skepticism. Forget the gullibility. Just download as much stuff as you can get into your head on whatever subject you're working on. And when you've got enough stuff, whoever, God, consciousness, the universe, 
will give you the answer. It will pop into your head. That's how it works. Yeah, I've. What have you have you ever read anybody like uh, Dennis or Terence McKenna talking about how eating enough magic mushrooms gave them the ability to telepathically communicate? Like, yeah, this- oh yeah, Ter- I had him. I don't know if you saw when I sent my uh, my emails. I had him quoted in my in my my signature. I love I love his expression. He talks about. He said uh, the idea that there was a big bang. And that all the material in the universe, plus all the laws of the universe, which people don't realize, the law of gravity, the law of electromagnetic force, the law of uh, motion, the quantum physics laws. Accelerating all the laws returns, the, does that yeah, fit in there? Yeah, everything. All the laws of the universe have to have appeared at the moment of evolution. They can't evolve. Evolution is based on genetic mutation therefore all the laws of the universe came with the big bang so it's like all the all the 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 matter all the energy all the laws of the universe all appeared at one point for no particular reason and terence mckenna says that is the limit case for credulity if you can believe that you can believe anything and he's absolutely right when you listen when you look at it and you say did all these laws all suddenly appear and it's and he he has the other expression he says science says give us this one big miracle and we'll explain the rest to you and that but they need the miracle they need all the laws of the universe they need the energy they need all the the matter they need it all to appear at one time and all this stuff to be set off and then we'll explain to you how there's no god and how it all happened by accident but first you got to give us this miracle and mckinnis says this is the the limit case for credulity if you can believe that you can believe anything because yep, it is we had dennis on a couple of weeks ago wow <laughs> yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah, oh we, yeah, yeah. You probably you probably enjoy oh, it. You could. I'm, you I'm going back to your podcast. Don't worry, I'll, I'll <laughs> right be listening on. to all your podcast. How many shows have you done? I think you're twelfth or twelfth or thirteenth. I th- I think you guys are the guys who are going to open this thing up because that's basically what it comes down to. Is it's the idea of the internet putting everybody out of business that. All this material is being there, and a podcast is a lot easier than reading a book. That's what That's I do. That's right. Yeah. Is is you download the podcast, and I have my MP3 player. So when I travel, when I when I go on a plane or something, I'll have loaded 15, 20 hours of podcasts. When I get to the other end, I'll keep a couple of them, and I'll load another 15 or 20 hours of podcasts, and I go through because that's the fastest way to get the information. Download it as fast as you can, and it all. It, then it looks like synchronicity, but it, it may not be synchronicity. It's just that you're going through the work and all yeah. the material, and and your 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 mind creating your is, own synchronicity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just and like all, people, all, you, they say people can create their own success. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. It's it's the old thing. It's like the the overnight success, and the people who are successful say always say the same thing. Twenty five years is an awful long overnight because they realize what they went through. Everybody thinks it, it happens by accident, and that's how lotteries continue to work is that the vast majority of people think everything's accidental, and they think everything's luck, and they don't realize that there's very little luck involved in anything, and that if you go through it and you, you do it, uh, you, you get the end result, which yeah. is how I believe it, and that's where I have this big disagreement with science, and uh, the scientific people inside the UFO community say, we can't say what it is. I say, bullshit. You can say, if, if I think it's aliens, I'll say it's aliens, and tomorrow if I change my mind, and I think it's interdimensional, I'll change my mind. Tomorrow, you cannot trust what I'm going to say tomorrow. I'm going to tell you right now, today, at this very moment, what I think is the answer. I may be wrong, 
but I'm not going to bullshit you. I, I get tired of these people who say, well, we really don't know what it is. I mean, or they talk to me off. The, you know, we're talking publicly or in private and they're talking to aliens and this and that and stuff. And then they get on a radio show or a thing and they go, they go on a TV show and then you go to them like, what the hell are you doing? Like, what did you say that for? You don't believe that. And it's like, but it's always the thing is we, we, we are so embarrassed to be in the UFO field. It's like selling vacuum cleaners door to door. We don't want anybody to know we're doing it. And so we, we want to sound like we're scientific. So yeah. we say, oh, we're open-minded skeptics. Yeah, I guess and, I'm, I, I'm a, I, that kind of shit doesn't bug me. I'm kind of lucky like that. I don't care if people think I'm crazy. Yeah, but, but a lot of people do, especially if you get into a situation. Uh, I had one very prominent person in ufology wrote me when I put up the Hillary, my Hillary Clinton website and said, what do you think you're doing? You're ruining it for everybody. And I said, what do you mean I'm ruining it? And he said, what, what do you think you're actually going to get her to talk? And this person had said to me, you shouldn't use the word extraterrestrial. The government doesn't like it. And you shouldn't have used the word UFO because uh, CNN won't cover the story. And this person is running around, a very, very prominent person in ufology, and saying, we really don't know what's going on. And it's like this conservative sort of thing. And I, I wrote this person back and I said, I helped you when you first started. And you are embarrassed to be in this field. You've been embarrassed since day one. You think you're better than everybody else in this field. And you're, you, you, you want to be sound like you're scientific. And you should just get out of the field and go do something else because that's why you're saying this kind of stuff. It's bullshit. When people say they really don't know what's going on, they're, they're just putting up a front because they, don't, they, want to, they want to appease the scientific community. They want the scientific community to, to listen to them. They think that they're going to get a grant or somebody's going to do something. Just tell the truth. Tell what, what it is. And admit to people that you may not be right and that you may change your opinion tomorrow. Like, yeah, I've, yeah. Done, like I've done, people ask me the question, does the president know? Every day it'll be a different story. I say, yeah, today I think he knows. Tomorrow, no, I don't think he knows. And and that's the way it works. It's like, you know, I, I, I listen to the stuff and eventually I'm going to get the right answer. Or, you know, when I die, I'll figure out, you know, whether I was right or wrong. Because I do believe that when you die, you get infinite knowledge. You only have, don't have infinite knowledge when you're in the physical body. Once you're dead, you know exactly what's going on. You know how it all fits together. You have infinite knowledge. And you go through this sort of the river of, of forgetfulness. Yeah, and, yeah. You, and you have to learn these lessons. And yeah. that's basically all about but uh i totally respect the way you've embraced this new path you're on you know and 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 it will maybe it'll change but you're you know you're using what you've learned in the past the little elements of it to to reinforce the you know the the hard scientific kind of part of uh the documentation a lot and then you've you know you've embraced the path you're on yeah, because science basically comes down to it's it's as you said it's a new religion it's a, a new religion, but it's also controlled. Is that if you if you're a scientist, you got to protect your job. I mean, you yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. you say this is for real, you ain't getting a degree. You you aren't getting any. Uh, you're you're finished. You're going to be ostracized. Yeah, there's even a guy I can't remember his name was, but there's a guy who won a Nobel Prize, who got into this thing. And said this, uh, I don't know if it was UFOs or whether it was paranormal phenomena, and he's been ostracized. He's at Cambridge University, won a Nobel Prize, and been totally ostracized because that's the way it works. And so people are so afraid that they got to pay the bills and they got to look respectable yeah. that they'll say stuff that isn't true. The same yeah. as you as a politician. And, and I say it happens in ufology, that people in ufology, we're always looking for the Messiah. We're looking for the ultimate case. We're looking for the case where it's going to be the thing where the government can't control it or the ultimate photograph or the ultimate uh, thing because we're looking for somebody who's going to answer it first. Yeah. So we're embarrassed to be in the field. So we want a government investigation. We want the government or we want the media to do an investigation because we are so embarrassed we don't want to stand 
that up and say what's going on. But we think, you know, if, if, if the science or if the media comes up and investigates it, they're suddenly going to say ETs are here. Forget it. They're not going to say it. They're, they've got a vested interest in keeping this, this situation going that they're, 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 nobody wants to step out and say it because it, it causes so many problems. So you can run another U, uh, government investigation, which a lot of people have called for. You're going to go through another 13,000 sightings. You're going to get another 701 unknowns. Yeah. And when you ask people after spending $500 million, you're going to say, so what is it? They're going to say, yeah. it's unknown. Yeah. That's the best you can do is unknown yeah. until you step out and you look at and you you and we're, we're sort of in an advantage if if i was a scientist if i had a degree i would have to shut my mouth because but because i don't have any vested interest i i'm not you know uh signed up to any of their religious viewpoints or um, getting any money from them i can say whatever the damn well hell i please and what i'm going to do is say what i think is right and that's what we've got to do is we can't make make it another uh, sort of pe people say we want uh, to control the UFO thing where we um, have a sort of you have to go through like a profession profession of uh, you know that you have to it's all reviewed peer-reviewed and I oh, always yeah, say yeah. you you better hope that I don't get on the peer review <laughs> committee because if I do you ain't getting on I mean if you got a stupid idea like that and we we have the advantage in that you, you have to keep it separate. You can't make it a profession. You can't tie it into science. You can't tie it into religion. You have to just look at the facts and say, sci scientists are not going to figure it out for us. The media is not going to figure it out for us. Nobody's, we are the people who have to figure it out. We have to start our own field. We have to use our own rules, and we have to figure it out. And my rule is you download as much material as you can, and you're going to get the inspiration of, of how it fits together, as I did with the consciousness thing. Yeah. And I, I feel I'm being sort of led. That, that, that the, makes more sense to me as I move along. It's taken me 38 years, and it's only in the last couple of years where I've really made advances, where I've started to really understand how this works. But uh, I, I, uh, the way I work it, I think I'm getting answers, and I think that's the way people should do it. Forget about science. Nobody's gonna. Nobody's a messiah. It's like we. We same thing when we when you go to politics. You you vote in. You know Barack Obama, and you think this guy's the messiah. And basically, all you've been done is con for your vote. You think he's the messiah. He's going to get in. He's going to solve all your problems. And everybody says we're going to make the unemployment go away. We're going to solve all your problems. You just give me your vote, and everything you want is going to come true. And then as soon as the guy gets in, everybody goes, Ah, he's not the messiah. I knew it. And you see the poll numbers drop, and the president's poll numbers drop and in ufology we're looking for is when Stephen Greer first came out it was like oh Stephen Greer is the messiah and then he does a disclosure news conference and some of the skeptics pick on a couple of his witnesses and yeah. everybody goes oh I knew yeah. he wasn't the messiah yeah. crucify him yeah, that's, that's what we do yeah. and we move to the next story we yeah. move to the next thing the Jerusalem video comes along. Everybody jumps on the Jerusalem video. Oh, here it is. You know, we got we, this is the this is the thing that's going to break it. And then if somebody says it's a hoax, they go, "Oh, I knew it was a hoax." Yeah. And then everybody goes to the next one. And yeah. we're so easy to set up because nobody's doing any investigation. All we're doing is running from the next one big story to the next big story to the next big story. Nobody's investigating. Everybody's looking for the next big story that they think is going to give us the answer. The, we have the answer already. All you got to do is take what you've got and study it. Speaking of that, did you see that examiner.com article that uh, it says Grant Cameron reports John Alexander confirmed MJ-12? Yeah, yeah they, they asked me to put that up. That was, I like to pick on John Alexander because the, uh, uh, actually he was in uh, Los, uh, Los Angeles when, when they were doing this filming and he was sitting in the background. He was sitting <laughs> off stage taking notes 
when everybody was being interviewed. And I know Don Schmidt was pretty upset. And I said to Don, I said, well, I hope he's not there when I'm being interviewed. And sure enough, there's John. I go, oh, and he really sort of, because you don't know what he's up to. I said, the number one question in ufology is, uh, uh, what are UFOs? The number two question in ufology is, what the hell, what, what's John Alexander up to? Uh, <laughs> and so, so is that a picture of him in that article? Well, they may have put a picture in him. I, I didn't uh, put the, any pictures with my article. I wrote the original article, put on my website, and then they put it up. And John, and John, I mean, that was the key thing, was John confirmed that, uh, that he had been, somebody had whispered in his ear that MJ-12 existed. And that's critical because John is like the ultimate skeptic. There is no government cover-up. And now he's admitted that somebody whispered in his ear. And I said to Stanton Friedman, I said, well, the next time you debate him, I want you to pressure him on who was it that whispered in your ear. Because yeah. it's going to be a, a very high-level person. And we've actually got a link where we can actually go to some guy who confirmed that not only did MJ-12 exist, but the names that are on that document that was released in 1987 are correct. And when it comes to this sort of thing, it was a funny story that happened with John Alexander, is you're talking about this thing about uh, instinct. And I talk about placebo, about how people will use unknown things to explain unknown things. So John, when he was there... Uh, in Las Vegas, I had heard from Romanek, of course, you know, Stan Romanek, the big yep. abductee. So Stan Romanek, he, he gets so much criticism that what he does, he allows people to come to his house and visit him and stuff like that. And people can stay there for two, three days. And, and usually when you're at his house, that's when all this, they show off. Yeah. You get all, because you get with abductees, you get all this other paranormal phenomena going on and lights and stuff moving around and stuff like that. So I heard from uh, Romanek, he says, oh, John was at my place. I said, John Alexander, was at your house? He said, yeah. I said, well, did something happen? He said, oh, yeah, there was all sorts of stuff happening. I said, get out of here. I said, so what did John say? And he said, he told me, he said, this is the real deal. <laughs> I said, you really? So when John was there, I was upset because John was at, in, in, in Los Angeles watching the interviews. I couldn't figure out what the heck he was doing there. But he was doing an interview himself, but he's watching everybody else's interview and taking notes here, figuring like he's reporting back to the government or whatever he's doing, you know. And so I figured, oh, what the hell? I'm going to, I'm going to, he's there and I'm going to talk to him. So uh, he were outside the studio and I said to him, I said, John, I said, I heard you're at Romanek's house. And he said, yeah, I was there. And I said, so something happened? I heard something happen. He said, yeah, yeah, there was some stuff happening. And I said, so what do you think? What, ha what happened? And he said, well, you know, we were in the backyard. And, and he said, we had this thing. And, and what they had done is they took a flashlight. And they took this flashlight and they unscrewed the flashlight to the point where it goes off. Eh? And then they put the flashlight on the picnic table or the patio or wherever they put the flashlight. And then Romanek starts asking questions to the aliens. And then the flashlight responds. The flashlight will turn off and on, eh? So John is telling me the story that, about this thing about the flashlight. And I said, so what do you think? And he said, oh, well, I says, nah, it's, it's not E.T. It, we, 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 there's, no, there's no E.T. We were not asking the right questions. He goes into the standard spiel about, you know, we, we don't know what the answer is. It's, it's, and I don't think, E.T.'s is too simple. It's not E.T.'s. He says, uh, it's just, it's just uh, poltergeist. That's all is going on at his house. Poltergeist experience. And he said, uh, and uh, poltergeist usually happens around people with, with uh, m uh, mental problems. And, and, and Romanek's a good candidate. And I, I was always going to pat him on the back and say, right on, John. I knew he'd come up with something. Because I was thinking, what's he going to come up with? You yeah. know? And that's what he came up with. It's just poltergeist experience, you know. Yeah. And yet, when you, when you come down to it, John's not stupid. I mean, his wife is an expert on shamans and stuff. And he's been in this 
1947. He's the longest running guy. He's been into the remote viewing. He's, he knows Kit Green and Pandolfi and all these guys from the CIA. He knows what's going on. And he knows that poltergeist experience happens around young kids. It doesn't happen around, you know, 40, 40 year old guys. So it, he knows it's not poltergeist, but this is his sort of comeback to say this isn't ET. And it was just really weird. Where you know, it's harder um, to believe than the than the ET story. I mean, if you if you see this picture of him on the Examiner, it's it's quite funny. Like if I was in the MJ12, like he's not a bad looking guy, but the look on his face. If I was in MJ12 and this guy came up to me, I wouldn't tell him anything either. Yeah, and that that's the whole idea behind this poltergeist thing. Is it's like it's like placebo. And it's like instinct. It's explain. It's using one unexplained to explain another unexplained. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't explain anything. No. And and what it comes down to is you've got to explain it. You've got to. And, it, and that's the same thing with the the whole thing about this. With uh, McKinnis says this thing about the 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 giving the the big miracle that you 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 get the whole universe. You put all the pieces together, all the laws, and then you say that you're explaining stuff when you're really not explaining anything. It's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing, uh, something where, where, and then you've just become artificial intelligence for some higher yeah, civilization. Yeah, it's like you sort of like moving a river. You you move a river or you make a channel a river, and then say you you invented water. I mean, <laughs> all, all you're doing is describing something. You're not explaining anything. It's like we can say, you know, a tree. How, how do you how do you make make a, an acorn? And they'll say, well, that's very easy. And then, you know, you, you take an acorn, you put it in the, the ground and the tree grows and whatever. No, 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 no. You're just describing how the tree knows how to make an acorn. That, that the, nature, the, the universe knows how to do that. You make an acorn. You make a plant. You make a, a flower. Science can't do anything. All science is doing is basically describing what's happening in the universe. They can't explain anything. If they could explain it, they could make an acorn. They can make a tree. Yeah, they can, like basically they can, that's what science is, I guess, right? Is uh, the observers. Yeah. Almost like not, the UFOs are of yeah. us. But, but when it comes to actually reproducing something or making making something, they can't make anything because it's not made that way. It's made through the mind. It's, it's You need the consciousness element. And science can't really do anything other than describe what they're watching. And anybody can do that. I mean, that's... I mean, you're sort of describing what nature is doing. And the more you look at nature, the more you look at how how all things are developed, especially when I say when you look at like the termite colonies or you look at the bees and you really look complex at what they're doing, you realize that it is, as Einstein described, it's not only more magnificent than you think, it's more magnificent than you could ever imagine. It just gets more complex and more complex. The deeper we get into subatomic particles, the more complex. The more we look out into the universe, the more complex it gets. And the more we understand quantum physics, the more weird it gets, the more complex it gets. The more you look at consciousness, the more you realize how complex it gets. That the universe, because we have this conscious mind that lives limits what we we are able to perceive we're stuck in seeing like one one millionth of one percent of of the universe and of consciousness and we're at the odd time with dmt you can sort of move out and see one percent of it but it's it's probably millions of times more complex than than we ever can imagine that's fascinating um i think we got a couple of guest questions don't we darren we got to squeeze them in before Guess. Yeah, I've got. Uh, we had a, a few guests tweet in. Our first one is um, from uh, Jared Drake, and that's at Jared underscore Drake nineteen seventy six on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And his question was: uh, He's a big fan of yours, first of all. Oh, and his question good. is: Is MJ twelve an elaborate hoax? So we miss some finer details. 
almost like Area 51 being too obvious to be real, like uh, some media tends to portray. Uh, MJ-12 is real. That's the article that was just, the. I, th- I think the article you're referring to, the Examiner article, yeah. that uh, the way we knew it was for real was um, only days after that document was released in 1987, um, we made this contact with Dr. Eric Walker. And the guy that was contacted him from California was talking to him about the fact that he said, I was told by Dr. Robert Saubacher that you uh, had been at a series of briefings at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base dealing with the recovery of a crashed flying saucer and alien bodies. And Walker said, yeah, I was there. Why do you want to know about that? And he goes, well, it's the most important subject in the whole world. And he said, well, calm down. He said, what are you getting so excited about for? And then he said, well, I've got this document about MJ-12. And then Walker cuts him off. He said, I've known of them for 40 years. Leave it alone. There's nothing you can do about it. And as soon as he said, I've known of them for 40 years, talking about MJ-12, the interview took place in 1987, 40 years before. It was 1947. That's when it was started. And Walker knew all the guys. We knew already that he knew all these high-level guys, the presidents and Vannevar Bush. He taught with Vannevar Bush's sister. He he got Vannevar Bush's office at the Pentagon when Vannevar Bush left. He knew all the MJ-12 guys. He was he was right in there. So immediately then I knew that MJ-12, I say the document is phony. And you got to distinguish between the document being phony because that's the way they do it. Yeah. And that, if, if you are, and people will say, oh, no, it's for real, and people leaked it, you do not leak classified material. If you are a patriotic, God bless American, uh, you know, military guy, you do not leak classified material. You, you simply don't do it. You, what they're doing is they're taking classified material, and all they have to do is alter a couple of words, put out the document. They're experts at doing this, making phony documents. You get out the idea of what you want. They wanted the idea of MJ-12 out. That's why they released the document. And in this article, I, I released about 12 different things that indicate the fact that people have, have all confirmed that MJ-12 existed. Now, the document is phony, but MJ-12, the group, actually exists. And the one example was this idea that John Alexander, who's one of the biggest skeptics about the fact that there's a, a government cover-up, has now confirmed that somebody whispered in his ear, yes, MJ-12 did exist. And yes, the names that are on the document are right. So John is saying MJ-12 exists because his spin on the story is, well, no, it wasn't aliens. It was continuation or continuity of government, that they were afraid that the nuclear was there would be a nuclear attack and it would wipe out the government. So they were trying to protect the government. That's why it was so highly classified. That's what MJ-12. So he just spins it and into a different sort of story. But there are a lot of people. I had uh, the archivist who came to me who was inside the vault. This is a guy who was at, in Washington who uh, was inside the vault before they declassified documents, and he stated quite clearly that he had not seen an MJ-12 document. He saw the one that had been released. He saw how they were protecting it, realized that they were taking special precautions on the document. He told me that there was a, a declassifier there. A guy had a Spanish name. And uh, that this guy had said he had seen MJ-12 documents uh, while he was declassifying Joint Chiefs of Staff. So, yes, MJ-12 exists. And as for Area 51, it's the same story. Area 51, and I talk about in in this book, this UFOs, Area 51, and government informants. To understand the Area 51 story, you only have to understand two pieces of the story. Number one, Bob Lazar, who broke the story. What happened is Bob Lazar went to KLS-TV. They were brought there. When they broadcast the story, it went viral. The story went around the world and got out of control. But what they wanted was they wanted Bob Lazar to leak this material to take it to John Lear. In 1987, when this story broke, John Lear 
1989, John Lear was the head of MUFON for Las Vegas or for Nevada. He was running around telling the underground alien stories, the shootout, the aliens are eating us, all the, all the weird stuff. And he was a famous guy in Las Vegas. And what they wanted was Lazar to take the material back to John Lear. Hmm. I know that for a fact because John, uh, Bob Lazar talks about his, in, his interviews. He talks to Edward Teller. He says to Teller, I want to get a job. I want to go to the test site. Teller says, okay. Sets him up. Interviews at EG&G, which is the big contractor at Area 51. All the technical, all the, all the questions are technical. All three interviews, except for the first question in the second interview, which explains Area 51. First question in the second interview was, Mr. Lazar, what do you do? You know John Lear, and what do you think about him? So before he went onto the test site, before he took one step on there, saw the flying saucers, the live alien, all that sort of stuff. Before that happened, they, they knew, knew that yeah. he was friends with John Lear, and John Lear was running around telling alien stories, and they knew that they would set him up. He would go tell John Lear. John Lear would go tell the world, well, we got flying saucer to Area 51. Everybody would go, oh, yeah, it's John Lear. Forget it. John Lear's full of shit. We don't got to believe John Lear. And the story would get out. That's what they do. They want the story out, but they give it to a bad witness who tells the story that nobody's really, they're sort of going to believe and, him, but not believe him. Yeah, and can kind of be discredited. Yeah, and, yeah. and the, other, the other thing that proves that, that it was a setup, that they wanted this stuff out, he gets onto the site. The first day he's on the, on the site, they give him 125 documents to read. It's a need-to-know program. You only get to yeah. know what you need to know. You're not going to show you 125 documents to show you how all the different programs work and all yeah. the, the aliens and stuff. And when he got caught, and I described this in the book. When he got caught, everybody leaves this part of the story out. He gets caught. John Lear is, 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 is with him. On the third night, they're showing the tests. He's, the tests come exactly when he said they were. They told him when the tests were going to take place. They knew he was going to take a bunch of people to watch the tests. He gets caught. They take him up to Indian Springs. They put a gun to his head. They say, you know, when we told you it was a top secret, that didn't mean to go take all your friends out to the test site and watch the tests. But they don't fire him. Top secret, the most highly classified program in the United States. You see what they've done to these these leakers. Yeah. They throw you in jail. You're never coming out again. They did not touch him. They did not even fire him. They pulled his security clearance temporarily. Then they invited him back to the test site. He's leaking material. They know he's leaking it to John Lear, and they let him go, and they invite him back to work. It's a setup. They, they wanted the material out. The only problem that happened was it went viral. Because KLS TV, TV did it, suddenly all the networks from around the world were coming there, and they had to actually go and take more land away because all these buses were going up into to watch it was going on at the test site. Now they had violated the security of the whole test site. Everybody could see what they were doing, not just UFOs. They could see everything else, and they had to take the land to force it away, and they managed to move people far enough away from the test site, and now they've got it back under control, and everybody says the same thing. Oh, yeah, Area 51, there's Bob Lazar made it up. It's all a bunch of garbage. But people know Area 51 is where the flying saucers are. So that's what they're doing is they're releasing the story that there's flying saucers, they're back engineering stuff. There's this live alien that they have, but nobody believes the story. Yeah, and you nope, get into nope. you get into that a lot in your book. It's a yeah. great it's a great read. That whole part was just fascinating. Yeah. People can't pin it down. That's what they want. They're not going to give you a piece of hardware that you can confirm as long as they have the hardware, as long as they have the bodies, yeah. as long as they have all the photographs. They want you and I to talk about this till the cows come home. They want That's people true. to know. <laughs> they they want it out, but they they're not going to confirm it because once you spill the milk, you spill the milk. And that's where I say it's a, this important article I wrote on my website the reason the government's 
withholding the truth because you take a look at it and you see all the things that could go wrong with disclosure that they're, they're just petrified that this thing's going to get out because there's so many things they can't control and once it leaks once the president stands up and says this is for real and all oh, the washington post and new york times start to cover it and go like holy cow this is for real then it, they lose control they can't control a lot of what goes on then suddenly it's you and i who everybody believes. They're not going to believe the government. They're full of shit. These guys were telling the truth all the time and they start coming to us and then some of us are going to say, well, you know, they're eating us. They've got us on the backside of the moon. They've got an alien <laughs> McDonald's and they're eating us and stuff. And and they don't want that kind of, you know, like it, they lose control over the, the information. Right now they control it and that's what they want. They want, they, they, they're gathering material. They're watching contactees, abductees. They're watching what's going on. They don't need a they don't need a, a, a blue book anymore no. because they can control your computer, plug yeah. into your computer, my yeah. computer. Yeah. They know what we're doing. We're all doing their research for them. Yeah. Yeah. We're putting this material out. And, and the more sitting, we know, and the longer it goes on, the easier it'll be when it when it cracks, kind of. Yeah, and that, that's what they say to the president. I'm sure they go to the president and they say, "Mr. President, we don't know everything." If keep you give going. us an, yeah. you keep it going. The more we drag this thing out, the more we're going to know. If they turn out to be ale, uh, uh, bad guys, we're going to have more weapons to fight them with. The longer we drag this thing out, Mr. President, we'll drill another oil well in Alaska. Don't worry about it. We can just keep this thing going. The longer we do, the more power we're going to have, and the more we're going to get ahead of the Russians and the Chinese because they're working on it too. That's what it basically comes down to. That's uh, that is a great answer. Um, so we've got uh, a couple more from a very close friend of the program. I, I'd actually like to call him probably a Grimerican. Uh, he go. sits with uh, sits in with us uh, every <laughs> couple of episodes, and uh, that's Red Pill Junkie, and our audience knows him pretty well. So his first question was, um, do you have any, any stories of uh, MIB cases in Canada? Yep. Um, let me think. Uh, there's one that I had, and I see the guy there occasionally at McDonald's, and I was going to talk to him about it, but this is a guy that um, uh, had an experience. Uh, he was a, um, he worked for Bristol Aerospace here in Winnipeg. He was an in, uh, not an engineer, but he's a pretty smart guy working for Bristol Aerospace. He tells his story. He goes down to Grand Forks. Like we, we go go shopping. You probably guys do the same thing. Go over to the American side of the border and go yeah. shopping. So we go down to Grand Forks. He was down. He had a trailer. He was down with his wife in Grand Forks. He's coming back up to the border, and suddenly you get the old thing that thinks this object's pacing the car, and then they stop, and the thing moves away. Just keep moving. The thing comes in close. They can see it's a flying saucer, a big flying saucer. They stop. The thing moves away, and this cat and mouse game goes all the way to the border. And his car is having a harder, harder time running. He gets to the border. He said he actually had to, and when he got to the Pemina crossing, he actually had to push the car and the trailer over the, the thing because he couldn't get the car started again. He gets back to Winnipeg with uh, uh, later that day or whatever, and um, he finds the coil is all uh, fried, uh, all this electrical damage done to his, to his engine, whatever. And he explained the whole thing because he's a mechanic-type guy. I didn't really understand it, but I just knew that it did a pretty bad damage to the engine of his car. And um, then he said the, the men in black stuff started, where these guys would come to the door. And this happened many years ago. This is back in the 70s, when this early 70s when this happened. We had that. John Schusler told me the story. John Schusler was the head of, of MUFON at one point. He told me the story about uh, men in black case. And when you hear it coming from him, I'm going, what, what, what? You, you expect you and me, people on the street, be telling this. And he's telling me the story about these men in black guys that come to his house. And stuff like that. And I'm thinking, 
wow, this is weird. Here's the head of MUFON telling me this story as if, you know, like an ordinary guy that you, you hear it from him and you go like, this this thing's got to be for real now. What they are, whether they're government or aliens or uh, uh, who knows, that's another weird sort of thing. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. It used to happen an awful lot in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard about a lot of them in Canada myself. RPJ's second question was, what, in your opinion, is the main thing ufology should focus on in, or, in order to maintain more credibility? And then he says in brackets, if that's possible. No, that's, that's the, 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 what you do is you contact, you, you focus on the contactees and you forget about the credibility. That's the problem we've got. We want credibility, so we kiss ass to the scientists. We kiss ass to the media. We're begging people, please do a study. We Believe need the us. government. Yeah, we're, we're just dying for credibility. We're the Rodney Dangerfield of the scientific <laughs> world. We hate it. We, we, just, we, we just, we want people to love us. We're like, I remember my kid, my kid when he's 14 years old and, and, and uh, this kid comes to the door to see him and the kid's got this mohawk and half of his head was orange and half of his head uh, hair was, was green. And every time I think of this thing about credibility, I think about this kid coming to the front door looking for my kid. It's like we're like 14-year-old kids who have the pants that are hanging down like they've crapped their pants. You know, we, we need respectability. We want everybody to love us. We want people to forget the credibility, forget about what people think about us. You've got to answer the question. You can't be listening to other people. You can't allow uh, anybody's religion or uh, scientific view or whatever uh, if they've got something to add that's that's credible to the to the information, but they don't. It's basically uh, without reading. The, almost every skeptic is the same thing. They don't read anything. They don't. They just give you their belief system. And people will say, and I get lots of people, and sometimes I get the religious people who come to me, and I've always bite my tongue uh, <laughs> because they're like relatives or whatever, and you don't want to really come across like a real idiot. But they always say, you know, you what you believe in this kind of stuff. And, and I always want to say to them, like, what do you mean do I believe in it? Do you, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Yeah. Do you believe that uh, Jesus walked on water? Do you believe Jesus, uh, you know, fed 5,000 people? Do you believe uh, the world was created in six days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You believe that kind of hocus pocus shit? And you can't believe that the same God could create aliens that could come from the, some other planet? I mean, give your head a shake. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Is, <laughs> yeah, well, you got you to gotta think a few hundred years ago, if you told someone the world was round, you'd get fucking hung. Yeah, exactly. It's just a matter of uh, pe people being at whatever level they are. But we gotta, we gotta realize that that isn't isn't it a shame how we can just keep making the the exact same mistakes over and over and over again? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Especially this credibility thing where we're begging somebody to come and save us, this Messiah. Somebody do a study. Somebody come out and say it's extraterrestrial. I'm not going to say it's extraterrestrial, but we want the government to come out and say it's extraterrestrial, and and we're going to scam them and try to conjole them it is up to us this is our job we are researchers it is our job to get the answer out and quit whining about other people doing the job for us there's nobody going to save us there's no messiah this is our job to do wow wow i've got like so many notes here and questions i still want to ask but we should probably <laughs> start start whining it winding it down a bit i don't want to yep. keep you up too late um so you're traveling a lot in the fall is there anything you want to uh say to the People listening, where you're going to be, anything you want them to check out 
your website, your book. Your book is fantastic, but uh, what about some of the conferences you're going to be at coming up? Uh, I'm in Kansas City, September 11th or 12th. Uh Um, I'm doing a conference there. Um, I'm doing, now it looks like I'm going to do Minneapolis, and I'm going to do Chicago at the end of uh, October. Okay. And I'm doing Albuquerque, New Mexico on about the 15th. Uh, you'd have to just look Albuquerque UFO conference. Yeah, yeah. November, and I think I'm doing Sedona in the the week after the third week of November. I'm wow. doing Sedona. So, <laughs> any plans to come to Calgary? Well, I was I was gonna do Calgary. Well, what I usually do because I I don't know if you know this thing. I was refused entry to the United States, so. I can't really take honorarium in the United States, so usually I'm paying my own way when I lecture. So usually what I say to people is, if you think that you'd like me to lecture, what you do is you give me notice. Like if I know you've got, you can get people together in Calgary, you want something done, then usually what I'll do is I'll book it with something else. Like if I'm traveling, like I've been offered oh, Seattle. Yeah, right. yeah. Seattle. So then what I'll do fly is... Fly through Calgary when, or whatever. When I, well, I usually drive. Because right. I, I, because if I fly, you know, I always hit the situation where they say, "Have you ever been refused entry to the United States of America?" And then you say, "Yes, I have." Oh. Yeah, and then you say, "Why were you refused entry?" Because I was lecturing without a permit. Are you lecturing this time? And then you say, uh, "Yes." And then you say, "I'm not getting paid." And then they say, "Well, we don't believe you. Here, <laughs> yeah, go back yeah, home." Like yeah. they told me the first time. I said, "What do you want me to do now?" And they said, "We don't care what you do. Go back where you came from." And I ate a $610 ticket. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I usually travel by car. And it, what I'll do is I'll link up a bunch of different uh, venues on the way so that at least, you know, if it costs me a thousand bucks for my trip, then uh, at least I know I'm, I'm getting three or four lectures in. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so because I have that problem that when I go to the States, I really uh, don't take honorary. People will maybe make donations to my website, but I don't really, I can't, I have you to can't win. Charge it's for it, it's yeah. the same thing when I go to the border, people say, Oh, tell when you go to the border, just tell them you're going on holidays. I say, if I go to the border and I tell them I'm going on holidays, do you think that you should believe anything I tell you when I get to there? <laughs> I can't lie. It's as simple yeah, as that. That's when, great. It's the same thing I work now. Like I'll tell you what I think, yeah. and it may be different tomorrow. But but the, the honesty is the basic thing you really need when it comes to ufology. That if somebody, if I catch somebody saying, you know, we really don't know what it is and they're trying to, you know, look good or appease the scientific community or whatever, then everything goes out of the window. You can't believe anything they say, eh? I think that's kind of a Canadian trait, isn't it? It, it could be. Yeah, yeah. We, we have a lot of good traits in, the, in, in Canada, but uh, that, that may be one where we're, we're I think, less competitive, uh, sort of more into doing the right thing, although we've sort of changed now. We're becoming more milita- militaristic rather than peacekeeping, and we're sort of playing the game along with everybody else. But Yeah, exactly. What, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's, that's the thing. it's hard yeah. not to, but... Yeah, but I, I don't blame people because people are where they are. I mean, I used to be where they are too, and that's where I, I look now that, I mean, if somebody doesn't believe, that's the way it is. They, they, they're at that level yeah. that, that, to me, it comes down to me... Uh, it comes down to what I do. Knowledge not used to sin, which was a, a expression Ed Casey used to use, that you're actually in a worse situation if you have knowledge and you're doing nothing with it. You're in actually a worse position than some guy who's mentally handicapped or whatever who knows nothing. Nothing's expected, or the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is expected. So if you have the information, it is up to you to do the right thing and to do what you're supposed to do with the information rather than just sitting on the thing. So that that's how I look at it. Hmm. I like that. 
So hopefully we'll see you maybe in the fall at one of these places. And if not, I mean, this has just been a great conversation. I would love to have you on again. It sounds like you're just like striding down your path on a, you yeah. know, on a great mission. So I well, really I appreciate the, the chance and give me the link and we'll put it on the website. Yeah, it's for kind sure. of a long, long interview and people like to listen to my ranting. So yeah, we'll put it on great. the website and people can listen. That's and I'm going to listen to your podcasts and make sure you put some abductee people on there. I, even if you want, I can give you some contact names of people I think you should interview. That yes, that yeah. uh, that because uh, that's that's where it's at. If you start getting into their experiences and listen to them, uh, these other people have the answers. I mean, it may sound weird, and you may uh, you know think twice about some of the stuff they think, but uh, these are the people that have the answers to where we're going. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, we'll- beautiful. Well, that was our long and absolutely fascinating chat with Grant Cameron. Yeah, what a great conversation that was. I was actually, I, I wasn't sure, you know, some guys, they only want to go the hour, like, uh, or a little longer, but Grant was willing to go, uh, willing to go, f- fuck, we could have went all night, it seemed like. Yeah, I hope you guys made it through and, and you're still listening at this point. If not, we totally understand, but... <laughs> yeah, no, but the best part was the best parts were near the end. So hopefully you guys stood through it. And uh, I could have gone longer too, but it just it came up on the uh, hour that it was time to shut it down. But I think we'll definitely have Grant on again in the future and talk about some when his new book comes out. We should try and get him on again. Oh yeah, he's going down this uh, this crazy path right now, and I can't wait to hear what's what's going on uh, in the next couple months for him. But on that note, the interview was almost three hours, so uh, we'll let you guys get back to your lives. <laughs> um, do you have anything you want to say uh, before we get going here, Graham? No, just uh, if you have any questions for any of our upcoming guests, email or Twitter, and my email is uh, graham at grimerica.com. That's G-R-A-H-A-M. Yeah, and I'm Darren at grimerica.com. And uh, once again, hate mail goes to feedback at grimerica.ca. <laughs> And you can always find us on Twitter at Grimerica and on Facebook, we're uh, Grimerica as well. Uh, so like us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, all that shit. Uh, the show notes will have all the links to Graham stuff and uh, a bunch of the stuff we talked about and always all the music that uh, you guys have just heard. All right, buddy. Thanks. That was great. Yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.